Box 13, with the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd, as Dan Holliday. Presenting Orson Welles as the third man, The Lives of Harry Lyons. That was the shot that killed Harry Lyons. He died in a sewer beneath Vienna. For those of you who know who saw the movie, The Third Man. Yes, that was the end of Harry Lyme. But it was not the beginning. Harry Lyme had many lives, and I can recount all of them. How do I know? Very simple. Because my name is Harry Lyme. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison, or the grave. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of mystery, comes his most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy as we present... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe. Hello there, this is Diamond. You know, this business I'm in can get pretty silly sometimes. I can go along for a whole month and get by on nothing but meals at the automat and a dozen laughs a day. The funny ones usually pay just as well as the tough ones, but eventually somebody starts something that's about as funny as an open grave. There is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you this morning. OCR Rock. And now, here is OCR Well, I hope my voice uh, outlasts this introduction. <laughs> I'm still suffering from a cold, and I don't know what to do to get rid of it, to be honest with you. Um, anyway, um, so, so far my voice sounds... Hmm, Fairly good, not too squeaky, but anyway. Uh, welcome to um, Movie Star Detectives and Richard Diamond, Private Detective. This episode is from June 21st, 1950. The episode is, is entitled, Mrs. X Can't Find Her Husband. And June Allison guest stars in this episode of Richard Diamond, Private Detective. It's the only guest starring role that they ever had on Richard Diamond, Private Detective, to my knowledge. Now let me go into a little more detail about Dick Powell. Dick Powell. Um, he, June Allison was Dick Powell's third wife and probably one of the longest marriages that Dick Powell would have. They got married in 1945. At that time, Dick Powell was 41, and June Allison was roughly 23, 24 years of age, vastly younger than uh, Dick Powell was. And uh, immediately, right away, they adopted a little girl. And then on December 24th, 
1950, uh, Richard Keith Powell Jr. was born to June Ellison and Dick Powell. And strangely enough, Richard Keith Powell Jr. Uh, looked amazingly like his dad, almost identical to his dad, as if they cloned him or something. And uh, Richard Powell Jr. would start off doing movies, some movies and TV in the 1970s, but he quickly moved over to directing and producing, and I believe he still is to this day. He's married to an actress, and I believe they have children of their own. And as of this recording, Richard Keith Powell Jr. is 70 years old, <clears throat> and he's still quite active in the business. Not so much acting, but directing and such. So anyway, so uh, after Richard Diamond, Private Detective, we have Sam Shovel from March 17, 1949. The episode is entitled, It Was His First Square Meal. And after that is Eliza Harry Lyme, starring Orson Welles, from January 25, 1952. And the episode is entitled, 5,000 Pentacles and the kiss. That, that's not something that I made up, but you, you'll find out what a, a pentco is. And then we have the private files of Rex Saunders from May 6th, 1951. And the episode is entitled Done to Death and the Adventures of Philip Marlowe from April 16th, 1949. We're having a heat wave. Heatwave is the name of the episode. And Box 13 from April 2nd, 1948. And the episode is entitled Last Will and Nursery Rhyme. Enjoy all these, and I'll see you all back here next week. God willing, the creeks don't rise. Get your vaccination. while the makers of Rexall drug products and 10,000 independent Rexall family druggists bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, private detective. This is your Rexall family druggist, speaking to you for the 10,000 independent druggists who have made the word Rexall part of our own store names, and who recommend and sell the 2,000 or more drug products made by the Rexall Drug Company. Like MI-31, for example, Rexall's popular mouthwash, gargle, and breath deodorant. Full-strength MI-31 kills contacted germs in seconds. Its zippy, tangy quality leaves a happy aftertaste. For a reliable yet refreshing mouthwash, use Rexall MI-31. And remember, you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. Good health to all from Rexall.
Now, your Rexall family druggist brings you a transcribed half hour with Richard Diamond, private detective, starring Dick Powell. Dick's special guest star tonight is... is, uh... uh, What was your name again? I'm sorry, but I really can't tell you. You can't tell me? Well, Rexall brings you Richard Diamond, starring Dick Powell. Charlie. Now, uh, fix me something, will you? Like that, huh? You look pretty good. Oh, you should have seen me when I got up. Both my heads were hissing each other. I'll fix you my special. You snap right out of it. Well, take it easy. I tried snapping out of it this morning and scattered myself all over the room. You relax for a minute. Just getting to work? Yeah. Helen gave a party last night. I think it turned out to be the finals of the roller derby. Ever swallow a roller skate, Charlie? Once on a dare, a mouse. Oh. Sorry. Charlie! Gotta mix it. Oh, that's a horrible machine to have in a bar. Some poor guy's liable to end up with shell shock. Here, hold your breath so you don't change your mind. What's in it? In your condition, that is a very touchy question. You just drink it, you'll feel better. Okay. Uh, 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 uh. No fudging all the way. Charlie! Uh, all the way? What are you, chicken? Oh. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. You snitched this stuff from a fire extinguisher. Tastes terrible, don't it? What are you going to thaw me out with, a chisel? Now I know it ain't that bad. No? A mortician would pay good money for the formula. Well, look what came in the front door. Hmm? Oh, yes, sir. Pardon me, but I'm looking for someone. There's nobody here but me and Mr. Diamond. Here's a picture of him. Has he been in here? Oh, lady, a lot of people come in here. No, I mean this morning. Mr. Diamond's my first customer. Oh. Uh, Something wrong, miss? I've just got to find him. I don't know where to look. What made you think he'd be in here? I'm trying every place that's open. I lost him in this block someplace. Lost? Well, he... Well, he just disappeared. Uh, who is he? My husband. Oh. I stopped to look at some hats in a window. I started talking about how pretty they were, and the next thing I turned around and he was gone. You called home? We're living at a hotel. He hasn't shown up there. I, I've called everyone I know in New York. You're from out of town? Yes. Oh, I'm so worried. Well, honey, from this picture, your husband looks old enough to find his way around. Why don't you go on back to the hotel and... You the... don't understand. My husband had quite a shock earlier this morning, and he was acting strangely. So you figure he might have gone looking for a drink? I don't know what I thought. It isn't like him to wander off like that. I'm so worried. Well, if you're that upset, why don't you go to the law? Missing persons. I thought about that, but I can't. You can't go to the police? I can't explain why. It it just wouldn't be good. Would you mind a completely new remark? What? Haven't I seen you before, Miss... uh... No... Hmm, nice name. Mr. Diamond sees a lot of people. Used to be a cop himself. Oh. Private detective now. Private detective? Seems to me I've seen your husband someplace before, too. Is this an old picture? Yes, I carry it around in my wallet. Are you really a private detective, Mr. Uh... Diamond, Miss... Like Sam Spade? Well, no, no. Sam drinks and runs around with women. I lead a rather sheltered life. (coughs) Steady, Charlie. 
Mr. Diamond, I'm really frightened. I'm sure something awful's happened to my husband. Will you help me? I might, if you tell me two things. What are they? Why you can't go to the police, and if you can afford a hundred a day in expenses. Oh, I can afford the money. You should have answered the first question first. Now I'm almost tempted to forget the last one. But I can't go to the police. Uh, dear. Dear, when people can't go to the police, it worries me. Your old man got a record or something? A record? Well, I've seen both of you someplace. You sure you aren't working some kind of a racket? Oh. Oh, 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 now, now, lady, take it easy. I lose my husband. I come in here for help, and you think I'm some sort of a criminal or something. Look, dear, I... I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't want to go to the police, and it has nothing to do with breaking the law. Shame on you, Diamond. Here, lady, here's a handkerchief. Thank you. Look, uh, I'm sorry. No, you're not. You're terrible. Oh, please, please. Look, I, I'm in pretty bad shape myself. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll help you. Wonderful, Mr. Diamond. Where can we talk? Hey, she turns them off like a hydrant. You'll help me? Oh, yes. A hundred a day in expenses. Certainly. Get her. Yeah. You sure you didn't dip into one of Charlie's specials? I don't drink. This isn't drinking. It's like diving into an active volcano. Where can we talk? Uh, one of the booths. Good. I don't want anyone else to know about this. You mean after this build-up, I ain't gonna, even going to hear what it's all about? Come on, dear. Oh. Uh, relax, Charlie. Have one of your specials. Who knows? You may be the first one to reach the moon. Is this booth all right, Mr. Diamond? Uh, just fine. Now sit down, dear, and tell me all about it. Well, there's really not much to tell. I took my husband to the... Well, to an appointment this morning. What kind of an appointment? I can't tell you. And you can't tell me your husband's name? No. Not even his first name? Well, I... I guess I could tell you his first name. It's Richard. Richard? Yes. You can't tell me anymore? No. You want me to find him and you want me to trust you? If you will. Will you trust me? Yes. Then I'll try and find Richard, but I'll need some help. I'll try. No, 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 please. I'll need some outside help. Who? A policeman. Oh, no, I told you. And I told you. You want me to trust you? Okay, that's what I'm going to do, but you've got to trust me, too. But the police... If you and your husband aren't in trouble with the police, you've got nothing to worry about. But the police... Not the police. A policeman. One man. But he'll find out why Richard disappeared. Well, don't you want to know why? I know why, but I don't want anyone else to know why. You don't want anyone else... You know why, but you... Oh, don't let me do this to myself. I just want to find him. Okay, okay. I promise the policeman won't say anything. I'm trusting that you have a good reason for not telling me any more than you have, but to find a man, this man in the picture, and an old photograph at that, to find this man needs a lot of doing. Checking hospitals. Hospitals? Now, don't start crying. Oh, I'm sorry. Go on. When you've got to check hospitals, Marge... Marge! Look, 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 dear. You wait here. <gasps> no, I'm going with you. Good girl. Charlie! Thank you for being so patient. A pleasure, miss. Shall we go, Mr. Diamond? Yeah, yeah. And Charlie. Yeah? I'd like to thank you, too. Anytime. Your hospitality and good manners are only equaled by your loyalty and perspicacity. Huh? All in all, you've been a living doll. Being a person who lives out in left field most of the time myself, I realized that these little disturbances in my life were pretty average. So with cute little Anonymous tagging along behind, I left Charlie's fancy bistro and headed for the 5th Precinct Police Station and the good Lieutenant Levinson. 
When we walked into the squad room, we bumped right into the one thing that science had been working 24 hours a day to find a cure for. Well, good afternoon, Sergeant Otis. Oh, how are you, Diamond? Hey. Oh, unpucker, Otis. Mrs. X will think the lieutenant uses you to unstop sinks. Mrs. X? What kind of a name is that? You want to meet the lady? That's the name. Mrs. X? How do you do, Sergeant? Oh, <laughs> hey, uh, ain't I seen you someplace before? Otis, haven't I seen you someplace before? Now, what are you talking about, Shama? Sure you've seen me before. Um, Mr. Diamond. Yeah, but this is nothing. Stick around him for a whole day sometime. Come on, let's see the lieutenant. Uh, I'll see you later, Mrs. Oh, uh, uh, yes, Sergeant. It's been a pleasure. Otis. Yeah? Your eyes are hanging out so far they cover your badge. Oh. Hello, Walt. Hi, Rick. I'm... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is Mrs. Exwald. Dear, this is the mighty arm of the law, Lieutenant Levinson. How do you do, Lieutenant? How do you do, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. X? Oh, let's not go into this thing again. The young lady prefers to be known as Mrs. X. Now, Walt, I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, a uh, young lady. Haven't I seen you someplace, someplace before? Yeah, Walt. Even Otis is with us on that one. I said the same thing when she found me in Charlie's bar. Now, the young lady's lost her husband, and I'm going to help her find him. Here's his picture. See if you got anything. Oh, yeah. Uh, are you sure I haven't seen you? Walt, we'll solve that one later. The picture. Go make like a policeman. Okay. She got a record. Lieutenant. Oh, uh, well, I, uh, I never forget her face. He's been trying to ever since he got Otis. Now, come on, Walt. Get a report for missing persons. Check the hospitals and the morgue. The morgue. Oh, uh, uh, lady, lady, lady. <laughs> It's a habit. Honey, we got to do these things just in case. But you think he's... Uh... Give me that picture. Lady, lady, please. Now, now, now. What's your husband's name? Uh, she can't tell you that, Walt. What do you mean she can't tell me that? I can't. Now, you look, Diamond, if this is one His of your... His first name is Richard. Richard what? That's something I really can't tell you. I wouldn't have told Mr. Diamond the Richard part, but it just sort of slipped out. Now, wait, what are you two trying to do to me? You come in here and ask me to locate this guy in the picture and you won't even tell me his last name? Look, Walt, I promised you'd do me the favor without the questions. The young lady seems to have a very good reason for not wanting to give her name or her husband's. Now, all I want you to do is check the morgues. Uh... What's the matter with her? She wants her husband. Yes, I want my husband. Before we continue with the adventures of Richard Diamond, private detective, here's your Rexall family druggist. It's always a pleasure when a customer herself tells you why she likes your product. And last week one said to me... You know why I really prefer Rexall Milk of Magnesia? It's because one bottle won't be so thick I can't even pour it, and then the next one thin and watery. Somehow Rexall Milk of Magnesia always seems to be just right. Well, ma'am, that's because every bottle of Rexall Milk of Magnesia has to meet an exacting standard of viscosity, or it can't wear the Rexall label. What do you mean by viscosity? It's the degree of thickness or pourability in a liquid. Rexall conducts scientifically precise tests on every batch of Rexall Milk of Magnesia to be sure it meets this constant standard of viscosity. And that's not done just to please you with its consistency. 
what's much more important, it means you'll always get uniform dosage from every bottle of Rexall milk of magnesia. And I thought it was all an accident. Oh, no, ma'am. There are no accidents behind the fact you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. And now back to tonight's adventure with Richard Diamond, private detective, starring Dick Powell. Checked and no no one that looks like this guy is in any of the more uh, usual places. Well, that's fine. Now let's start looking for him where I lost him, Mr. Diamond. Oh, swell. Well, Walt, we really just stopped by to say hello. Killing time, you know. Sure. I appreciate everything you've done, Captain. Lieutenant. Of course. Thank you very much. But now, Mr. Diamond and I have to go and find my husband. Richard. Yes. I think you'd better wait a few minutes. What for? Yes, we've got to hurry. I've got to find my husband before the 8 o'clock plane leaves this evening. You're leaving tonight? You didn't tell me that. Well, Richard has to be in California by tomorrow morning. Got a little job to do? A very big job, Captain. Lieutenant. Well, what do you want us to wait for? Because I've got Otis checking on this girl, this Mrs. X. Oh, no. Walt, you promised. I promised nothing. You assumed. Oh, you're a fine buddy. Buddy schmuddy. You might be taken in by her sweet innocence, but not me. You double-crossed Mr. It. Diamond, you promised. But I didn't, lady. I just checked the morgues. Uh... Oh, now you shut up. Walt. Well, I never... I've seen this girl someplace, Rick, and I've got a sneaking suspicion she's wanted. Wanted? You can't cross me like this, fatty. Wanted? Won't tell me her name, huh? No. Won't tell me her husband's name, huh? No. Then you're hiding something. Yes. Yes? Y-E-S, meaning of course. Now you stop that, Rick. Rick. Is your name Richard, too, Mr. Diamond? No, my friends call me Rake. You ever in Chicago, lady? Of course. Of course? O-F-C-O-U-R-S-E. You meaning... stay out of this. You run around with Tony Capone when you were in Chicago? You talking to me? I'm talking to her. Well, I'm glad. Tony never gave me back my elk's tooth. Well, I don't know why you're talking to me, Captain. I never gave Mr. Capone an elk's no. tooth. It's Lieutenant, dear. You gotta stop promoting him. You'll get a swell head. Oh, you rat! You call me Lieutenant? No! I... Gee, don't scare me like that. I got something on this picture you gave me. Her husband? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Hello, Mrs. X. Hello, Corporal. (laughs) Otis. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, You won't like it, Lieutenant. I won't like what? What I got on this picture. Something's happened to Richard. Now, take it easy. Well, what did you find out? I'll tell you whether I like it or not. Well, I sent it down to the boys in the morning. No, no! Oh, now, look what you've done, you mallet head! Well, gee, what did I say? You said more! Oh, no, 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 no. Now, honey, honey, listen. This morgue is where they keep photographs. Oh. Well, what did they come up with, Sergeant? She sure looks pretty when she cries like that. Oh, this. Uh, oh, oh, uh, well, I shall quote from the report. <clears throat> uh... Person in said photograph resembles one Richard Diamond, private detective. What did you say? Come to think of it, you do, Mr. Diamond. I shall continue. Member of the New York police force for seven years. Height six feet one. One hundred and ninety. Eighty. The general confirmation of the head. Note. Right ear... Order, shut up! Oh, it gets real interesting. 
You didn't tell me about getting mixed up with that fan dancer back in 39, Diamond. I was simply interested in starting an ostrich farm. Otis. Uh, yeah? Do you think that picture looks like Mr. Diamond? Uh, kinda. Thank you, Patrolman Lovelo. Uh, Patrolman? Yes, and if I ever catch you wearing a sergeant stripes again, I'll put you on a beach so far out that I'll have to fly food into you. Now get out of here. <laughs> Sergeant Levinson. Lady, please, it's Lieutenant. Well, I don't care what it is. I think you were just horrible to that nice little policeman. Is that right? It certainly is. And I'm going to write a letter to the governor about you. Now, wait a and minute. And what's more, I'm going to tell him what a horrible, mean, impolite person you are. But, but... I come in here with Mr. Diamond, and simply because I won't tell you my name, you accuse me of being a mop. Mop? Yes, mop. One of those gangsters' girls. Mop. Yes, and just because everyone thinks they've seen me before, I'm accused of all sorts of things. But lady, I... No telling what's happened to my poor, wonderful husband. Oh, 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 lady, uh... please, lady, I... You big bully. Yes. Well, uh, okay, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. Can Sergeant Loveloon have his stripes back? Yes. No, thank you very much. Come on, Mr. Diamond. We've got to find Richard. Goodbye, Major. <laughs> Well, I was in it up to my neck. Any other time, a client like Mrs. X would have scared me right into four months of hibernation. But she was such a cute little screwball that I just had to go along with it. We took the picture that looked something like yours truly and started making the rounds. Starting with the last place Mrs. X had seen her husband, we showed the picture to every shop owner within a four-block circle, but no one had seen him. Mrs. X kept uh, checking with the hotel, making me stay at a good distance so I couldn't hear the conversation. But no one had seen her husband. We ended up right back where I first ran into her. Charlie's. Well, find them? No. Uh, look, dear, why don't you check again with this place that you and your husband went to this morning for his business appointment? Maybe you went back there. Well, I guess I could try it again. Phone in the back on the wall. Thanks, I'll call him. No luck, uh, Diamond? No. How do I get into these things, Charlie? When someone wants to give you a hundred a day in expenses, you get into them. Phone. Brilliant deduction. Hello? A little lady will get it. Mm. Mr. Diamond? Yeah? It's for you. Captain Levinson. You've been promoted? Several times in the last hour. You think he's heard something about Richard? Might be. Yeah. What is it, Fatty? I thought you might be there. What made you think of Charlie's? Well, it's pretty obvious you had a hangover. Well, maybe I stuck a bicycle pump in my nose and pumped up my head just to get a laugh out of Otis. You'll have to do better than that. You told me you met the girl at Charlie's. Shrewd, shrewd. Is it something important? Honey, just relax. I'm getting to it. But if it's about Richard... The girl there? Yeah. What's on your mind? Well, I don't know if it means anything, but we just got a report from the Johnson Sanatorium. Johnson Sanatorium? Never heard of it. Over on 84th Street. The missing husband? I don't know. The report fitted his description, but who knows from that old photograph. Well, it's worth checking. What's the address? 644 East 84th Street. Seems they found this guy wandering around the streets. Johnson Sanatorium, 644 East 84th Street, huh? Did he give his name? Uh, amnesia, loss of memory. Seemed to be suffering from shock. Thought I'd let you get there first. Felt kind of sorry for the girl when I realized the story might be kosher. Okay, Walt, I'll check it, thanks. Meet you there. Well, honey, that might be... Hey. Hey. Charlie. Yeah? Mrs. X, where'd she go? Took out of here like she was shot out of a gun. Something wrong? When are you going to stop asking stupid questions? 
Well, that tore it. Mrs. X was probably on her way over to the Johnson Sanatorium and with a good head start. So I went out and grabbed a cab for 84th Street and kicked myself a dozen times for getting mixed up in a situation like that. Why not forget the whole thing and get some rest until my head returned to a normal circumference? Answer, because I'd wasted a whole afternoon looking for the missing husband and hadn't even got a retainer. Yes, sir. Is something I can do for you, Prince? I'm looking for the man you reported as... Hello, the... Rick. Oh, Walt. Have you seen Mrs. X? I just this minute got her. She's been and gone. What about the guy you got the report on? Took him with her. Uh, the young lady came in, took a look at the man, claimed it was her husband, paid his bill and left. And you let him go like that? I thought the man had amnesia. Well, yes, he was suffering from some kind of shock and had temporarily lost his memory. But you just let him walk out of here oh, with... Rick, Rick, let him finish his story. Hmm. Uh, the, the minute the man saw the young lady, he snapped right out of it. She said they had to hurry to catch a plane or something, had, had a lot of packing to do. Did she uh, give her name? Yes, she signed the release. Uh, here, let me see it. Now, uh, take it easy, Rick. It's signed, Mrs. Richard Diamond. She used my name? Is that your name? You're darn right it is. She leave any address? Phony, I checked. Oh, swell. I'll cover the airports if it'll make you happy. Oh, it'll make me very happy. She did nothing for my hangover. She didn't pay me one red cent for my trouble. And I think I may be getting hives. Oh, I'm going over to Helen's and have a complete nervous breakdown. How do you feel now? Oh, I'm all right, Helen, dear, but my ulcers just had a parade. Any word from Walt? No. Miss Helen? Yes, what is it, Francis? A young lady at the door for Mr. Diamond. I'll get it. I'll bet you will. Wow. Hello, Mr. Diamond. Now, look, I've got something to say I can't to you. stop to talk. My husband's waiting in the car, and we have to catch a plane. Now, you look, I... I want to thank you very much for all you've done, and I want to apologize for running out on you. But your husband... He's fine, thank you. He just lost his memory for a while. Now, I'm not gonna... I haven't got time to tell you anymore. We've got to catch a plane. But you... Oh, I said that. Here's an envelope. But I... It explains everything, and there's something in it for you. But you can't... And here's something else, because you've been so wonderful. But... I hope if you ever get to California, you'll look us up. Goodbye, and thank you again for everything. You're wonderful. Bye. Well. Hmm? All right, Blue Eyes. What was that all about? Hmm? Oh. Oh, that was her. Oh, she. Uh, The girl. The girl? Uh, 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 Mrs. X. What's that? Hmm? Oh, it's an envelope. Said it would explain everything. I hope it does. Especially that fond farewell. Oh, that. She was just being grateful. Yeah. Go on, open the envelope. Uh, Pardon, Miss Helen. Now it's the phone. Lieutenant Levinson for Mr. Diamond. I better tell him about the girl. You'd better read what's in that envelope. Hello, Walt. Uh, Rick, that dame phoned on us. Asked where she could find you. Oh, that's how she's found the place. Yeah, the melon had told her you might be over at Helen's. Gave her... She's been there? Uh, just left. And she left an envelope that she said would explain everything. Well, what did it say? I haven't read it. Well, read it. I want to know what this is all about. So does Helen. Well? Well? Five hundred bucks. The explanation? What about the letter? Well, it says, uh, uh, Dear Mr. Diamond, I know that I've caused you a great deal of trouble. So I wish to take this opportunity to... To thank you for your patience and understanding. As for an explanation, well, here it is. But I count on your discretion and hope that you will keep my secret. 
This morning, my husband and I went to a doctor because I hadn't been feeling well. We discovered and were overjoyed to find out that I was going to have a baby. Immediately, I informed my husband that I had decided to give up working until after I had the baby. The realization that I wasn't going to make any more money for the rest of the year was too much for him. The shock made him lose his mind, and he, well, he just wandered off. Although he has recovered his memory, the thought of having to support us both for the rest of the year has left him nervous and despondent. So I'm taking him back to the coast of the family psychiatrist. I wish to thank you from the bottom of my heart for all your kindness and help. Signed, Oh. Signed, O. Rick! Helen, Helen, what's wrong? He's fainted. What? He looked at the signature on the letter and just flopped over. Well, what about the signature? It's signed, June Allison. Again, here's your Rexall family druggist. Whenever you have a headache, remember this about Rexall aspirin. When taken with water, the five full grains of pure aspirin in every Rexall tablet are ready to go to work for you even before they reach your stomach. Yes, whenever you have a headache, remember that about Rexall aspirin. Ask for it at Rexall drugstores everywhere. And remember always... You can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. Good health to all from Rexall. Richard Diamond, Private Detective, stars Dick Powell in the title role and is written by Blake Edwards with music composed and conducted by Frank Worth. June Allison appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and will soon be seen co-starring with Dick Powell in the MGM motion picture, Right Cross. Featured in tonight's cast were Virginia Gregg, Ted DeCorsia, Wilms Herbert, and Bob Sweeney. Richard Diamond, Private Detective, was transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. This is Bill Foreman inviting you to be with us next Wednesday at this time when we will again bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Hiya, beautiful. Get lost, Bristlepuss. You need a shave. But I have shaved. What else do you want me to do? Silly boy, she wants you to go stag. Go stag? But why? Because stag is Rexall's exclusive line of men's good grooming aids. Like stag brushless shave cream. No fuss, no massage, just smooth it on and presto, you get a clean, close shave. Your face stays smooth and whiskerless all day long. I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll go stag. That's it. Join the stag line now at Rexall drugstores everywhere. Yes, to make girls care. Go stag. Bill Bendix leads the life of Riley again Friday 
on NBC. Hey everyone, I thought I would step in here to explain something that I really can't explain. In the middle of this show and the Sam's Trouble sketch, there's a, a scene that doesn't make any kind of sense whatsoever, especially if you listen to it, because it just sounds like a bunch of gibberish. And I don't know what it is or what type of recording method or it's a blooper or something like that i really don't know it just doesn't sound it doesn't make sense it just doesn't make sense at all so ignore it and uh when the sound gets better it seems to be back on track but i don't know what happened and what happened to this recording it sounds like a mumbo jumbo of a bunch of stuff thrown together at the same time but just when you get to that part, just kind of count to ten and it'll be all over with. It's the only thing I can say. All right, thanks. Hey, Abbott, what time is it? It's time for the Abbott and Costello Show. We're on the air for ABC here in Hollywood. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go with the Abbott and Costello Show. Got a nice voice, that kid? I know all about it. He's going places. I know it. Thank you, let's just left the building now. <laughs> all right, Costello, come on out here. Look. Who are you talking to on the phone? My Uncle Mike. Boy, is he in trouble. My Aunt May just threw him out of the house. He's done a terrible thing. What did he do? Well, you know them two towers that got marked his and hers? Yes. Well, he used hers. Right. <laughs> Costello, I'm ashamed of you. How can you come out here in front of intelligent people and make such a statement? You want everybody to think you're a moron? Well, if I didn't, I wouldn't have a tattoo on my arm, would I? Well, never mind that. Our secretary, Viola Vaughn, has been complaining about you, too. Well, I don't believe it, Abbott. Viola and I are good neighbors. She lives right next door to me, and we're very friendly. Costello, Viola would make a nice wife for you. Our folks are very rich, and you should do all you can to win her. Not me, Abbott. Her family's too snooty. Yesterday, her mother was driving along in a 1949 Hudson, and... A 1949 Hudson? Why, just last week, she bought a 1948 Hudson. I know, but she had to get rid of it. Yes, trays were full. <laughs> anyway, I don't need to marry no rich girl. I'm making plenty of money on my detective business. Hello. What is your Sam Shovel detective mystery about? That? Well, it's a very intriguing case, Abbott. I call it the case of the cannibal who cooked the long-haired musician or it was his first square meal. <laughs> uh, uh, well, it sounds terrible, but let's do it. I'm Sam Shovel. Sam Shovel, private detective. You need help tonight. I just left the locker room of the gym of the YAMCA. I'm walking to my little office. I think I'm being followed. I hear footsteps behind me. I quicken my pace. Whoever is following me has quickened his pace. I decide to dart into the alley. A sinister-looking man ducked in the alley with me. I decide to run. Stop, Sam Shovel, stop. Listen, you, what's the idea of following me? Who's following you? When you left the locker room, you buttoned my suspenders to the back of your pants. <laughs> a 
anything that's liable to happen to you in this business. I arrive at my office. The floor is all covered with fallen leaves. There are twigs all over the floor. This is my branch office. <laughs> I remember when I started this business in 1928. I didn't have a penny to my name. My clothes were shabby. My shoes were full of holes. That was in 1928. Then a horrible thing happened in 1929. The Depression hit me and I lost everything. <laughs> But I wish my pal, Lieutenant Abbott of the Homicide Squad, was here. There's a real cop. When he goes after a crook, he leaves no stone unturned. <laughs> anybody but he's turned over every stone in Los Angeles. <laughs> Abbott is quite a talker. Every time he opens his mouth, he puts his foot in it. One day while he was... taking a bath. Huh? And if somebody else starts to walk in... Abbott sat right down and wrote a big song hit. You've all heard it. All I want for Christmas is my two front toes. <laughs> Lieutenant Abbott is used to getting hit on the head. He's got on me, dear. He's got on me, dear. He's got on me, dear. He's Yes. Hider. Yes. Don't ever let anyone come between us. A shadow couldn't get through. Hello, Sam Shovel. It's my pal, Lieutenant Abbott. Sam, you look mighty tired. Oh, gee. Come in. Yeah, I have There's all the package for you, sir. What's well, up, You mean you have all the... in the morning. Okay, chump. Guys, <laughs> I haven't been feeling so good. I got... Now go close and kiss me. I'd love to kiss you, honey, but gee, just when I get set, something happens, I have to unfuck her. <laughs> well, I'm ready now. Come on. I've been looking for you. Where were you all day? Well, it's a bridal path. <laughs> Come here. Oh, it's you. You hit a better class of package. Enough. wasn't for you. You were there on a case, I presume. Yes, a real clever crook. The bags. We're checking out of here. Now calm down, uh, you're just upset because it's your wedding day. Where's your cord? Here, and I'll turn on the radio. What kind of radio? People putting in and out. Did that, Sam? You're in plenty of stuff. Now, turn it! Responsible for sending Gun Magoon to prison and his mom. He's a sorry. He is sworn to get me. There's a sorry. He's the most useful gun in the record. Lieutenant, you say that Dorothy was sworn to get me? Yes. All I got to do is for you. She can have me. I'm too young to die. I, I beg you. I beg of you on bonded knees. Not bonded knees. You're wrong. That's bended knees. He's right. With all the stuff he does with his knees are bonded. <laughs> Please, Dorothy, don't shoot me. Please. Please. Lieutenant Abbott, I'm ashamed of you. Groveling on your knees like a sniveling coward. Be like me. I'll tell her a thing or... Sam Shovel, I'm going to kill you too. <clears throat> Now, what were you going to say? Abbott, you're taking up the whole floor. Move over, give me more room to kneel down. Dorothy, please, Ferris. We'll do anything to make to make amends. Anything you say. Yes, Dorothy, you shouldn't be mad at me. I think you're beautiful. Come on, let you and me kiss and make up. What do you mean, kiss and make up? We just met. Well, let's kiss and make up for all the time we lost. <laughs> 
Uh, I don't know. My boyfriend, Machine Gun Magoon's in prison. And I am kind of lonesome. Viola, why not let Sam cheer you up? He's quite a lover, you know. How good would you say you are, Sam? You know, in my mob, we rate the guys according to the number of girls that are crazy about him. If a guy's got six girls crazy about him, he's called a cannon. Five girls, he's a shotgun. Two girls, he's a revolver. Well, Sam, how do you stack up? Take hands with a water pistol. the guy to take Magoon's place. I'm going to give you a chance. Come here. What are you going to do? I'm going to kiss you a couple of times. How's uh, that? That's what I call a high dramatic kiss. A high dramatic kiss? Yes, he went from first to second without shifting. <laughs> Sam, I think you got her. Huh? I think you got her, Sam. Yes, Play up to her and, and she may not kill us. I'll see if I can make you forget Magoon. Will you spare our lines? Sam, I'll accept your proposition. If you can give me a kiss that'll make me forget Magoon, I won't shoot you. Uh, uh, and you won't shoot me either? It's a deal. Sam. Sam, I'm the best man. Excuse me. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> Sam, I'm depending on you. With everything you got into this kiss, it means our lives. Don't worry, Lieutenant. They don't call me Love Lips Sam for nothing. Come here, Dorothy. Well, Dorothy, what do you think? Ladies and gentlemen... Wait a minute, just a minute. Two shots, please. He's just going to kill me off alone. He goes with me. Now, Viola... Detective show next week. Tune into the Fat Man, Ellery Queen, or this is your FBI. Oh, you get out of here, will you? <laughs> now, before Abbott and Costello have their final fling, we bring you one more thought on this subject. The saying goes that most fat men are good natured. There are people, though, who say they have to be because they can't fight and they can't run. But Brad Runyon is one fat man who's done a lot of running, more than his share of fighting. He's the private detective on The Fat Man, heard Friday nights over most ABC stations. When master detective writer Dashiell Hammett conceived the character of Brad Runyon, he saw in his mind's eye a tough criminologist who tipped the scales at 241 pounds, who appeared slothful, but could move at a speed almost equaling his lightning thinking. Vast numbers of listeners make the Fat Man program a Friday night listening habit. So for exciting entertainment, join the millions hearing Dashiell Hammett's Fat Man when it's on the air tomorrow night at the most of these ABC stations. Now back for a final word from ABC's Abbott and Costello show.
quite an interesting case you did tonight. Uh, Would you like to tell the folks what your famous shovel case was for, uh, case for next week is about? You really I got you, didn't he? Would you like to tell the folks uh, what your famous shovel case for next week is about? Yeah, yes, I would. That's right. Folks, next week I will do a murder story. I call it the case of the young bride who set fire to her 60-year-old husband's beard. Or there's no fuel like an old fuel. <laughs> Folks, and our writers are working on it now. Our writing staff is headed by Eddie Foreman with Paul Conlon, Pat Costello, Martin Ragaway, and Len Stern. Our sound men, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> our producer is Charles Bender. Be sure to be with us next Thursday. Good night, folks. Good night, everybody in Patterson. Good night. Listen each Thursday night at this time for another great Abbott and Costello show, produced and transcribed in Hollywood. Be sure to stay tuned for the outstanding entertainment which follows throughout the evening on this ABC station. Broadcasting Company. Now, 8 o'clock at KECA, AM and FM, Los Angeles. created in the motion picture The Third Man with Zither Music by Anton Kara. At various times in various countries I've been called many things most of which I'd rather not repeat here but strangely enough the one thing I've never been called is the one thing I am a businessman. Did somebody laugh? I'll give you a little lesson in economics. All business pays in direct proportion to the amount of risk involved. The safest investment, therefore, paying the lowest returns. Now, my returns are likely to be high because I'm willing to take risks outside the law. That's where high finance starts getting really high, high, wide, and handsome. The following little anecdote illustrates my point. It's called 5,000 Pengos and a Kiss. Now, what you may ask is a Pengo. It is not a small black and white bird. A pengo is what they use for money in Hungary. A kiss is the same thing all over the world.
And now, Orson Welles as Harry Lyme, the third man in 5,000 Pingos and a Kiss. In Hungary, various uh, political events after the war brought about new and very strict laws concerning getting out of the country. But people have always wanted to get out of countries, even charming countries like Hungary used to be. And when they can, they'll pay well for certain risky arrangements being made for them. So inevitably, I found myself in Budapest where I soon made certain necessary contacts and then, like any good businessman, went looking for customers, which, as in any business, are often found in the nicest places. That's why one evening, not long ago, I happened to be at the exclusive Club Royale in Budapest. Very lovely place, Club Royale, but not nearly so lovely as the young lady I soon noticed making her way to my table. Pardon me, sir, but are you Harry Lyme? I beg your pardon. I don't believe we're acquainted. No, we're not. My name is Helene Barner. Oh, of course. Stupid of me not to recognize the very famous and equally lovely Helena Barner. Thank you for the compliment, but you have not answered my question. You are Harry Lyme. Miss Barner, at the risk of being tried, I must remind you that a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Won't you sit down? All right. Thank you. Mr. Lyme, I must get out of the country and to understand that you could My help. dear Miss Barnett, certainly I needn't tell you that you can't believe everything you hear and you certainly can't repeat it in public places anyway. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I didn't realize. I'm yes, terribly upset. I... I see uh, that. It's my guess you've been working too hard. No, no, You I... actresses are like that. The show must go on. Never a thought of rest and relaxation, but... Eventually, it tells on the nerves. No, this is not a matter of work. I'm it's sure a... it's been a long time since you've had a single day away from your work, Miss Barnard. Mr. Lyme, please. I have something much more important to discuss. It can possibly be more important than oneself. Really, Miss Barnard. I think you need nothing so much as a quiet stroll in the park, perhaps a visit to the zoological garden. Mr. Lyme, I... the best thing in the world for you two. In fact, I'd be delighted to offer my services as your escort tomorrow afternoon and show you the monkey house. Mr. Lyme, really? I'm not in the mood to look it at animals. It's my opinion, Miss Barner, that nothing could be more important to you right now than a visit to the monkey house but, tomorrow afternoon. But what the are you... The monkey house, Miss Barner, oh. at one o'clock tomorrow. Good night. So it happened that the following afternoon I arrived at the monkey house adequately armed with a bag of peanuts. I've been informed by experts that monkeys are very fond of peanuts. Uh, looking for someone, Miss Barnard? Oh. oh, there you are. I hope I'm not late. Not at all. I just tried myself. Can you have some peanuts? No, thank you. I don't like them. Couldn't we talk someplace quiet? It's my guess, Miss Barnard, that conversations such as ours are better held with noise. Oh, yes. I suppose you're right. Now, that's pretty tricky, isn't it? What is? The way that monkey caught the peanuts. Oh, can I have your attention? It, I won't take long. Miss Barnard, you have my undivided attention. I must leave the country as soon as possible. And I was told you could arrange it for me. You flatter me. I've tried to get a passport many times, but they've always refused. Oh, on what grounds? On, on no grounds. My applications simply go unanswered. For what reason? I, I don't know. They simply ignore my request. For no reason? Very well. I tell you the story. I've been married for a number of years. My husband is in Austria. Mm. He's been there ever since the end of the war. Well, he must be lonesome. My husband? No, no, that little monkey all alone in that cage over there. My husband, he's the reason for my being refused a passport. You see, he's, well, an enemy of the current regime. They would like nothing better than to get him back here. And I'm being held as a lure. 
We've been apart for a long time now, and the last word I received from my husband was that he is planning to attempt a visit. But if he should even try to enter this country, I hate to think of the fate that awaits him. Life behind bars must be unbearable. Uh, for monkeys, you understand. But... I understand, but now you know my story. I must get to Austria before my husband does something rash. I understand you can make the necessary arrangements for me. So there are really only two questions I have to ask. Will you do it? And how much will it cost? You know something? Will You're you... very lovely, my dear. Will you please pay attention? But I am paying attention. My price to anyone else would be 10,000 gold pengo. For someone as charming as yourself, my price is 5,000 pengo. And a kiss. 5,000? But, but I couldn't possibly... If someone were to open the gate of one of these cages for these monkeys, I wonder if they would stop to quibble about peanuts. 5,000 gold pengo, Miss Barnard. At the Schurflatz tomorrow midnight. But I... <laughs> I must be running along. If you'd like to stay a while and feed the monkeys, you may have these peanuts. Personally, I can't stand monkeys. They're such greedy little fellows. certain police lieutenant who's hard at work at his desk. 
Good morning, Lieutenant. Lime? What the heck? I thought it time I paid you a visit again. I'm not asking you to be brief. What brings you here? No, a simple matter, Lieutenant, simple matter. I'd like you to arrange a work permit for a, a lady of my acquaintance. A work permit? Mm. Now, see here, Lime. Aren't you going too far asking favors for your girlfriends? As you well know, I'm not at all satisfied with the way our arrangement has been working out. But it's six months now since you delivered anyone of consequence to me. And I'm beginning to wonder about this whole arrangement. The, uh, lady's name happens to be Helen Barna. Hel- Helen Barna? Hmm. Helen Barna's trying to leave the country, eh? Yes, I thought I'd put it rather clearly. Lime, are you sure about this? I've already been paid in full. Wonderful, Lime, wonderful. Just what I need. Ah, the inspector has been making my life miserable. This should keep him quiet for a while. Helen Barna, eh? I thought she'd be pleased. When does she want to cross the border? Why, well, I, I haven't made any arrangements. Oh. I, I assumed it wasn't necessary. You know. Yes, but... You always spared me that trouble in these cases. Yes, that's true, but... Yes, this one is different. I want Helen Barna caught in the act of trying to cross the border. An example must be made. You mean you want me to go through with this? To the last detail. Well, this is no part of our agreement at all, Lieutenant. I, I don't mind doing what I must in order to stay in business, but... I don't relish leading the victim to the guillotine, holding her head while the knife falls. Oh, come now, Lime. You're being dramatic. If our arrangement is to continue, I must have a major public arrest. You have no choice. I don't like it. I didn't ask you what you liked. We can arrange it so that you will be absolutely safe. You can leave the girl at the border just before my men close in on her. But that's the way it must be. Okay. Okay, Mr. You can make your arrest at the border. Good. I knew you'd be reasonable about this. Now, when does she want to go? Well, nothing's been arranged. I told her to apply for a work permit to appear at the country club at Magyarova. Good. Miss Barna will be in Magyarova by tomorrow night. Orson Welles returns in just a moment. Continues with 5,000 pingos and a kiss. The next night I drove to Magyarova to see Helena Banner. Maybe it would have been simpler to have gone by railway, but experience has taught me that a car in such a case is pretty valuable. So I arrived at the country club after 9 o'clock. Helena was just finishing a number, but she saw me as soon as I came into the room, and she hurried over to me. I'm glad you've come. I was afraid it wouldn't be tonight. If I hadn't come tonight, I wouldn't have come at all. I don't understand. The arrangements have been made. We leave immediately. What, tonight? Now? Listen carefully. I have my car outside. 
We drive to the first barrier near the border, the barbed wire. How will they get through? Arrangements have been made at a certain place. The wire's been cut. I'll take you through. Border lies a short distance beyond at the beginning of the forest. I see very well. I'll get my coat and we can go. Now, slowly. We mustn't lose our heads. But I'm quite calm. Really, I am. Not calm enough. (laughs) If we walked out that door, the club management would have the entire police department down on us before we got a hundred feet. Oh, that's right. But how can I leave? You leave me now. Go directly to the ladies' room. Yes. When you're alone in there... Climb out through the back window. Yes, I I hate to sound melodramatic, old girl. It's the only way. By the time you do that, I'll be waiting behind the building with my car. I'll see you there. Very well. I'll see you later. I watched her go. She was obviously afraid, but still had courage. I waited until she'd crossed the room and gone out the corridor that led to the ladies' room. Then I turned and started for the front door. But I hadn't gone very far when... Outside, well, can't see as quick. Yes, we can talk here now. What's happened? Did you bother to get her story before you went into the... Of course. Yes, there are a few little matters you missed. Like what? Like the fact that before she approached you, she had been dickering for some time with Serna. Serna? Yes, she came to you only when his price... How do you know? When Serna learned she had made a deal with you, he wanted his revenge. He went direct to the inspector and told him everything. Where did you hear this? Oh, from the inspector. Where else? He's in town and wants an arrest made for certain. Oh, well, there's no problem. You were planning an arrest anyway. No problem for me, but it may be for you. The inspector wants a double arrest. What do you mean, double? He will settle for nothing less than the girl and you. Oh, oh I see. That does complicate matters well. Well, then I must go back to Budapest. The attempt will not be made oh, tonight. No, you don't. Don't what? Don't leave me in this fix. If no attempt is made tonight, the inspector will know just where the weak link is, and then we're both in the soup. Well, there's only one thing we can do. The girl will attempt to cross the border. How? I'll take it through the barbed wire. No further. I'll turn back. She'll go on alone. It's up to you to see that the arrest is made in the forest. See, the at the border itself. But the inspector knows you're in on this. He wants you even more than the girl. dear lieutenant, he may want me, but he's going to have to do without me. He'll have to settle for the but girl. He knows. I don't care what he knows. This is the only way. After all, Elena Barna is still a big catch for an ambitious man. If I happen to escape from the darkness, who's to blame? Your neck is safe. The inspector has his little triumph, and I, well... Somebody once said he who runs away will have to fight another day. I don't like this. I didn't say you would like it, but you'll have to accept it. Now, Lieutenant, if you'll excuse me, I have to go to the ladies' room. It is the unforeseen contingencies that are the most tricky. Now, who could have known that a distraught young lady... Anxious to leave the country, had first approached my rivals. That in revenge, they would have gone to our mutual enemy, the police. However, hesitation in my line of work can be fatal. I proceeded as if nothing had happened and met the girl at the rear of the country club. We were soon in my car, driving down a back road until we came to the barbed wire, the last barrier before the border. Is, is this... is this the place? Yes. Say goodbye. Goodbye? 
But we're not at the border yet. You have no problem. There are no further obstacles ahead. But you can't go now. You agreed to take me across the border. This is no time for technicalities, honey. You are substantially at the border, and I must turn back. It will take me some time to get through the wire again. The Border Patrol and I are not on the very best of terms. You agreed to take me to the border. I'm not going to. I'm afraid I must be firm. I'm afraid we will be firmer. We? Myself and this gun. I mean business. There's something I forgot to tell you. The patrol I spoke of is waiting for you directly ahead. What? Mm, you approached Zama before you came to me, didn't you? Yes. Mr. Zama is a very greedy man. He was very reluctant to lose your account to me. He went directly to the inspector of police. I don't believe it. How else would I know? But why do you tell me? I could kill you for You that. could, but a gunshot would bring the patrol out of the... Look! There they are now! Where? No place. <gasps> oh. Give me that gun. No, don't. Let go. Ah. <laughs> ah, that's better. Now get up. I said get up. I knew it was a trick. What happens? This was not a trick. I told you the truth because I had to. Now I'm turning back. Sorry to have been so rough. There's nothing else for me to do. Let's get to the border the best you can. Austria's directly ahead of the west. Czechoslovakia is in that direction. North. You have your choice. Guess the patrol to be in that clump of tree somewhere over there. <laughs> Now, Miss Barnum, I regret that our association ends on such an unpleasant note. But I... Wait, come to think of it, it needn't end on such an unpleasant note at all. I just remembered. I haven't been paid in full. What? My price for this service was 5,000 gold pengo and a kiss. Pengo, you're kind enough to give me. I have yet to receive the rest of it. No. The kiss. You must be crazy. A bargain is a bargain, Miss Barnum. Oh, who's there? The patrol. The patrol. Oh, let's run. Oh, for what? What? We're trapped. No, 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 no. Too late for that. Don't move. Don't move. They'll know where we are. Stand perfectly still. I have your gun. I'll hide behind that boulder. You cry out for me to attract their attention. When their attention is on you, I'll come out and cover them. It's a lie. I have I... no time for lies now. They want me even more than they do you. Do as I say now. Our lives depend on it. All right, but if this is another trick, Harold Lyme, so help me, I'll see that it's not lost. It's no trick. We're on the same team now, whether we like it or not. As soon as I get behind that boulder, cry out for me. Use my name. All right. All right. Harry Lyme! Harry Lyme, come back! Over there! Who's there? Be quiet! Oh! No, no! Lyme, come back! Come back! Don't shoot me! You there! Put your hands in the air. It's the woman. Keep her covered. All right, all right. Ah, well, well, well. The famous and lovely Helena Barma, huh? Little did I expect to meet you under these circumstances. Where's Harry Lyme? I don't know. I don't know. You must know. I heard you call him. I tell you, I don't know. You two men, quickly, in that direction. Yes, Inspector. You follow the wire in the other direction. He can't have gone far. Barman, where is he? I don't know. You must know, and if you know what's good for you, you'll tell me where Harry Lyme is. Did you call me, Inspector? <laughs> don't turn around, Inspector. Yes, this is a gun you feel in your back. Lime. One move, Lieutenant, and you have a dead Inspector on your hands. Tell your men to throw their guns on the ground. I will hang for this. I'll worry about my neck. You worry about yours. I want those guns on the ground, quick. I'm a desperate man, Inspector. Yeah. Is that yourself? Yes, Inspector. Good. Eh... Uh, you head to the Austrian border, quickly, before the other men return. 
Hadn't you better come with no, me? I'm afraid not. The Austrian police think no more highly of me these days than does the inspector right now. But I hate to leave you like it's this. Fine. I... I appreciate your consideration and loyalty, but this is no time for etiquette. Every moment counts. Goodbye. Good luck. Well, all right. I'll go. But here's the rest of my bargain. The kiss I promised. Thank you. And goodbye. You're welcome. Lime, you'll regret this. Inspector, I will regret it in Czechoslovakia. In the meantime, I have an attractive business deal for you. On the other side of your barbed wire, I unfortunately will leave an expensive automobile of which I'm quite fond. Would you be interested in buying it? Are you out of your mind? Not at all. I'll take whatever you happen to have on you in return to the car. Lime, for the last time I... Inspector, I said I'll take whatever cash you have on you. My liquid assets are all in Budapest, and I'll need whatever money I can obtain. Give it to me, please. Perhaps we'd best do as he says, Inspector. All right. Lime, here you are. Not very much. Lieutenant, perhaps you'd care to contribute to the inspector's purchase. Any contribution will be gratefully received. Quickly. Here you are. Still not very much, but then this isn't exactly a seller's market, is it? The car is yours, Inspector. And now, will both of you please do me the favor of giving me your trouser belt? What? You heard me correctly. Your trouser belts. Take them off, please. When you return to Budapest and ransack my quarters, you will, I'm sorry to say, find enough money of mine to buy yourself and the entire police force new belts and suspenders for the rest of your lives. Now, I'm afraid I must remind you that I'm holding a gun. Your trousers belts, gentlemen, and make it quick. What kind of madness is this? Lieutenant, really, is it necessary to explain? You're a scholar, aren't you? I've got to do with it. Well, old man, in all the famous chases in history, no policeman has ever been known to catch a fugitive and hold up his pants at the same time. Thanks. Goodbye for now. I mean, Helen. She made her first big hit in Paris and then came London. I saw her last in the Persian room at the plaza in New York. She was killing the people. I caught her eye when she came out for a fifth encore and I thought I noticed a little flicker of recognition. She told the audience she'd only sing one more song, but she was dedicating it to an old friend whom she'd known in dangerous times on the other side of the Atlantic. I figured I was the old friend. And you can imagine how grateful I was when Helen broke into the opening strains of 
I'll be glad when you're dead, you rascal, you. Just proves you can never trust a woman. Another intriguing adventure transcribed from the private files of Rex Saunders. Concerning jewelry, diamonds may be a girl's best friend, but like any other precious ornament, they can be done to death. And now, the private files of Rex Saunders. RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music and first in television, brings you the celebrated star of stage and screen, Rex Harrison in another exciting story taken from the private files of Rex Saunders, radio's newest man of mystery. We hope you enjoy these weekly stories of intrigue and adventure. And for another adventure in home entertainment, we suggest you try RCA Victor's fine line of radio and television products, now on display at your RCA Victor dealer. Now for our story.
gray, misty morning when the tugs nosed the mammoth hulk of the transatlantic liner, Tregania, into its North River berth. Alec and I were on the pier, standing near the guard rail, watching the Tregania's passengers coming ashore. As they walked down the gangplank, I looked them over carefully, wondering which one was Allison. It's uncanny how we get ourselves in these strange situations. The strange situation Alec referred to was prompted by a radiogram which I received that morning at the rude hour of five. It was sent from aboard the Tregania and said simply, Important you be at pier when Tregania docks. Need your help. Don't fail. And it was signed, Allison. But who is Allison? I told Alec that I really hadn't the faintest idea. So there we stood, watching the passengers debark, when suddenly I felt a gentle tap on my shoulder. Mr. Saunders. I turned round. She was slim, brunette, and she was quite attractive. Two small valises were resting at her feet. You are Rex Saunders, aren't you? Yes. I'm Allison. Oh, I imagine that Allison was a man. So did I, Alec. But I can hardly say that I'm disappointed. Vivian, Allison. Well, about that radiogram you sent me, it uh, had an urgent tone. But it's rather an urgent matter. Here, look at this, Mr. Saunders. This bandage on my arm. It covers a wound, bullet graze. I was shot at last night on deck. By whom? I don't know who he is. He's followed me about the ship ever since we left Liverpool. He goes under the name of Charles Strickland. But he's only one of them. There are others. They want to kill me. And just why do they want to kill you? They're after this valise. Uh, this brown one here. Oh? Uh, what's in it? Diamonds. Diamonds valued at $200,000. They're from the South African mines. I'm a courier for the Kent Diamond Syndicate. I'm delivering them to the New York client, uh, Robert Johnson and Sons. Well, now you're safely in New York. Oh, No. I won't be safe until the diamonds are delivered. Till they're out of my possession. That's rather a tight fix you're in. You will help me. Well, it's the least I can do for someone from home. I'm very grateful, Mr. Saunders. Just what do you plan to do, Rex? Well, from what Miss Allison has told us, Alec, it's apparent that her life is only in danger just as long as she has the diamonds in her possession. Well, she's going to hand that bag to me now, right here in plain view. But, Mr. Saunders, where are we meet again? I'll follow you outside the pier. You take a taxi to Johnson and Sons. What street are they on? Uh, 59, 842 West. Very well. Now, you have your cab driver take you there, and I'll hop into another taxi and follow directly after you. Alec? Yes? I want you to go aboard the Tregania and find out what you can about Charles Strickland. Right. Now, Miss Allison, you may hand me that bag. Here you are. Now, you go ahead, Miss Allison. As you say, I'll wait for you at Johnson and Sons. Alec, forget what I told you about looking for information on Charles Strickland. Huh? Forget? But why? Because there probably isn't any Charles Strickland. Why? But you go aboard the Tregania as planned while I trail the young lady. Yeah, but about Charles Strickland, you mean Miss Allison was lying to us? Precisely. I want you to find out what happened to the real Allison. The real Allison? Yes. While you were waiting for me here, I stopped in at the administration office and checked on the Tregania's passenger list. There was only one Allison on that list, Alec. And Mr. Stephen Allison. With the brown bag in hand, I followed the attractive brunette along the crowded pier. It was obvious that her real name was not likely to be Allison, but there was nothing obvious about the game she was playing. 
I waited outside the pier until she got into a taxi, and then I hailed the next cab in line. Where to, mister? That taxi ahead, please. Uh, follow it when it pulls out. Okay. Move over, chum. This cab's taken. Hey, look, buddy. This gent flagged me first. Shut your trap. Get this heap moving. Hey, a rod. He's got a rod, mister. Yeah. Shove off like I told you. Yeah, but look here. You better do as he says, driver. Hey, you're a smart boy. Thanks for the compliment. It ain't no compliment. It's a warning. Oh? Don't get over smart. You're liable to end up with your face in a ditch. I uh, take it you're referring to my encounter with Miss Allison. Uh, don't give me that Miss Allison business. Where do you tie in with the dame? I haven't the slightest idea what you're talking about. You know, playing too dumb can be worse than giving it to me too smart. Give me the bag. The, the what? The bag. The one you're trying to hide behind you. Oh, this. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know what you meant. Yeah, not much you didn't. All right, driver, pull up. Get out, smart tugger. Go on, get out. And remember what I told you. Stay out of this game or the next time you get tagged for a slab in the morgue. I not only lost the bogus Miss Allison, but also the valuable little brown bag. I headed back to the pier to pick up Alec. Who do you suppose he was? I don't know. But I won't forget his face quickly. Well, anyway, we're sure he was one of the gang after the diamonds. And now they have what they were after. I wouldn't be too sure of that. What do you mean? He got the bag from you, didn't he? Yes, Alec, he got the bag, all right. However, I managed to open it before I hopped into that cab. Hey, that was quick thinking on your part. You opened the valise, removed the diamonds, and then hid them on yourself. <laughs> and our ugly friend was left holding the bag. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't laugh, Alec. <laughs> Why not? Well, the joke happens to be on us. <laughs> huh? And, uh, and it was played by the deceptive young lady. When I opened the bag, it was empty. Empty? That's a punctured water bucket. Oh. The would-be Miss Allison used us as a feint, Alec. Remind me never to trust a handsome woman again, will you? As if you listened. What did you find out about Stephen Allison? Well, the deck steward told me that Allison was a man of medium height, about 40, somewhat baldish. He was sick during the voyage, and he remained in his stateroom throughout the entire trip. His door was constantly locked. Anything else? Yes, I was just getting to this. A very interesting piece of information. Allison had a frequent visitor, a young lady. Mm, who I imagine fits the description of our brunette friend. Mm-hmm. Sears. Vivian Sears. Vivian? Well, Miss Sears at least told us the truth about her first name. Come along, Alec. Where to now? That phone booth just over there. Who are you calling? Police headquarters. Inspector Kelly is checking the matter for me. Inspector Kelly, please. Hello, Inspector... Inspector? Rex Saunders. Oh, you have? Fine. 627 East 20th Street. Thank you very much. Yes, I'll call back later on the other tracer. 627 East 20th Street. What's at that address? Perhaps $200,000 worth of diamonds. What? I made a note of the license plate number on that cab that uh, the mysterious Miss Sears took when she left here. A police radio car located that taxi a few moments ago. According to the driver's trip schedule, Miss Sears went from the pier directly to the house on 20th Street. The house on 20th Street was a dilapidated brownstone which had been converted into a rooming house. The landlady recalled that an hour before our arrival, 
A young woman fitting Miss Sears' description had entered the house. I wonder whose room she went into. Well, the landlady says it was rented six months ago by a man named Vincent. That she'd only seen Vincent twice and that uh, a special lock was put on the door. It's that room at the end of the hall there. I have a feeling that we're walking headlong into some more trouble. Hmm. Well, this door isn't locked. It might be a trap. No one's in here. Hmm. Well, look on the table here. It's Valise. It was like the one Miss Sears gave you. Yes, the mate, the one she kept. Ah, there's nothing in it. And here we are, left holding an empty bag again. Now, how will we ever find her or the diamonds? She certainly won't return here. Alec, I was wrong. Huh? There was someone in this room. What are you talking about? This body behind the couch. Oh. Yeah. Help me turn him over on his back. Yes. Who can he be? This photo in the passport I found in his pocket, look. Yes. It's him, all right. What's to say his name is? This passport identifies him as Stephen Allison. a formula for fine listening. AM radio plus FM radio plus two separate record changers equal RCA Victor's magnificent new Victrola radio phonograph console. Imagine AM and FM radio with a newly extended tone range, a record changer for 78 and long play records, and for RCA Victor's amazing seven-inch non-breakable records, a second record changer, the 45. Two record changers for all three speeds of recorded music. And in an RCA Victor Victrola radio phonograph, both recorded music and radio share the same brilliant RCA Victor golden throat tone system. A tone system that brings you concert hall clarity, fine fidelity always. And all this is wrapped up in a console cabinet whose beautiful styling and careful craftsmanship reflect RCA Victor's incomparable standards of quality. Next chance you get... CRCA Victor's wonderful selection of Victrola radio phonograph console. I phoned headquarters. The homicide crew, with all its equipment, came to the murder room on 20th Street and began its usual relentless and scientific search for clues and leads in the shooting of Stephen Allison. After I completed my report to the detective lieutenant in charge, I left the brownstone house and walked across the street where Alec waited for me in the car. I uh, called Inspector Kelly, as you asked. Did the report come in? Yes, the driver of the cab you were in went directly to the police with his story. What did he say? So the mug who manhandled you forced the cab driver to take him up the west side drive to 125th Street, mm-hmm. then across town to Lexington Avenue. Then he got out and disappeared in the Lexington Avenue subway. All right, Alec, we'll get the car started. Well, where to? 59th Street, the west side of town. Was, uh, anything of special interest found in the murder room? Yes, several things, but so far, nothing conclusive. There was some cigarette butts in an ashtray. Homicide check with a pack, which was in Allison's pocket, and they were a different brand. Well, evidently those cigarettes in the tray were smoked by Miss Sears. From the evidence, they weren't. 
I don't follow you, right? Well, there was no lip rouge traces on the cigarettes. And here's something else. An empty book of matches was found in an ashtray. It advertised a roadhouse in Baybrook out on Long Island, a place called Holly Inn. In view of the fact that both Allison and Miss Sears both just arrived in the country this morning, it's unlikely that the matchbook was carried by either of them. Hmm. I'm really confused. Am I? You? What about? Well, something else homicide uncovered. They found a great number of particles under Allison's fingernails. They haven't tested them yet, but they're quite sure that the particles are metal filings, most likely copper. I'll get a report on that later. But why would metal filings be under Allison's nails? He was a diamond courier. I'm not sure just what Allison was. On the way uptown, I'm stopping off to send a cable to Scotland Yard and then paying a call on Johnson and Sons to see what they can tell me about Stephen Allison. Mr. Johnson will see you now, Mr. Saunders. Thank you, Miss Gaines. Oh, you know my name. Well, the receptionist outside mentioned it, and I always make a point of remembering certain names. For professional reasons. Well, you know what they say about all work and no play. <laughs> By the way, uh, mind if I borrow your matches for a light? Not at all. Yes. Thank you. Keep them. I forgot to tell you, Miss Gaines, I also make a point of remembering telephone numbers. I'll think it over. Uh, you'd better go inside. Mr. Johnson's a busy man. He doesn't like to be kept waiting. Mr. Johnson should know that some things are worth waiting for. Even telephone numbers. The door straight ahead. Come in, Mr. Saunders. Come in. I won't take up much of your time, Mr. Johnson. Oh, that's quite all right. You know about the murder of the courier, Allison. Uh, the police were already here. They left just a short while ago. I thought the matter was settled. Settled? Well, $200,000 worth of diamonds. Your diamonds are missing. Oh, you have it wrong, Mr. Saunders. I, uh, guess you haven't heard the latest. Uh, I guess I haven't. What are you trying to say? Merely that the police recovered my diamonds. They're in a safe in our vault room. Where did they find the diamonds? Well, there was an auto accident up in Van Cortland Park. The diamonds were found in the wrecked car. And the, uh, the police have the driver? Oh, yes, yes. The police have her. A woman named Vivian Sears? Yes. The police said that was her name. They asked me questions about her, but I could tell them nothing. Well, if you'll excuse me, Mr. Johnson, I must run along. There are some questions I want to ask Miss Sears. Well, I'm afraid that won't be possible. The police tell me Miss Sears is dead. She was killed in the accident. <laughs> Sears' death wasn't an accident, Alec. I'm almost positive of it. But the police reported her death due to accidental causes. Mm, well, just to say, I'm sure that the car she was in was forced off the road and down the hill in the park. According to the record, there was less than five gallons of gas in the car. If anyone is planning a long trip for a getaway, they'd be sure to be better stopped with gasoline. No, Alec, it was no accident. You think she was killed by the same man who murdered Allison? Yes, I think so. Oh, you take the uh, the next right to Baybrook. The uh, the Holly Inn is about two miles this side of town. Next right. Rex. Yeah? I don't understand any of it. If Miss Sears and Allison were murdered for the diamonds, which is the only logical reason, why were the diamonds returned to their rightful owner? Alec, for the time being, we're going to have to abandon the logic in this case. Then where will we be? Perhaps on the right track. We'll eliminate the diamonds from the case. Eliminate the diamonds? Then what do we have? 
Scotland Yard's reply to my inquiry on Allison told us that Allison at one time was an engraver. Now, that fact fits in with the metal filings which were found under his fingernails. Yes, it doesn't fit too well. When you consider that Allison abandoned his trade to act as a diamond courier over a year ago. Mm, well, perhaps he didn't abandon his trade at all. You remember that the deck steward told you that Allison remained in his stateroom throughout the entire voyage? Yes. Well, uh, he may have been spending his time aboard ship engraving in secret. Engraving what? Well, I don't know, but something valuable enough to cost him and Miss Sears their lives. And that brings me to the visit I'm making to the Holly Inn. The book of matches which were found in Allison's room advertised the inn. So did the book of matches I got from Evelyn Gaines, Ralph Johnson's secretary. Well, that may be only a coincidence. That may be, but the long arm of coincidence can be stretched only so far, Alec, and then it snaps back and somebody's bound to be caught in its grip. Alec waited outside in the car. I walked into the Holly Inn... It was a typical small roadhouse. There was a bar on one side and a row of dimly lit booths along the other. I walked along the booth side, and then a hand reached out and grasped my sleeve. Hello. That long arm of coincidence I told Alec about was working overtime. Evelyn Gaines' pretty face came out of the dimness of the booth to smile at me. Imagine meeting you here, Mr. Saunders. Miss Gaines. <laughs> what a... Pleasant surprise. Uh, won't you sit down and join me in a drink, uh, Rex? I'm glad you asked me that question, Miss... Uh... Uh, Evelyn. Evelyn, that, uh, what brings you here? I thought you lived in town. Oh, weren't you sure? Frankly, I was sure. Uh, after business hours, interest. Shall we stop playing the game? I was just beginning to enjoy it. Your friends might object to your wasting time. Oh, uh, speaking of my friends, uh, meet Al. Move over, chum. You know, I have a feeling I've been through this same thing someplace before. It's the same shooter you're feeling, your rib smart tugger. He's all yours, Al. I'll be going along. Yeah, sure. I'll be seeing you, Evelyn. Goodbye, Rex. Thanks for the game. Mm, nice girl. Alula. You know, Al, ever since our encounter in the taxi yesterday, I've been looking forward to meeting you again. You and me both, smart tugger. Only this meeting, you don't walk away from... <laughs> to the climax of our story in a moment. Three bestsellers. Three RCA Victor bestsellers. One, Eterby plays the haunting Claire de Lune. Two, Leopold Stokowski conducts his symphony orchestra in the Blue Danube Waltz. Three, the Boston Pops Orchestra plays the beautiful Warsaw Concerto. Three bestsellers, high on the honor roll of immortal music. Three RCA Victor bestsellers. Stop in at your RCA Victor dealer's and listen to these great Red Seal singles. Buy them. Take them home with you. Own them. Because they're classics in the classical field. You'll never tire of them. You'll play them over and over again. Claire de Lune, Blue Danube Waltz, and the Warsaw Concerto will make a wonderful addition to any record library. And they're available on the amazing 45 as well as 78 RPM. Buy them now. Get your copies of these three all-time best-selling... RCA Victor Red Seal Recording.
back into my brain on a tide of a low humming sound. And the tide swept in faster and faster, and the sound became certain and distinct. I was on the floor in the back seat of a car. I was sick. Everything in me hurt. Then I heard him whistle. And I knew who it was. A man called Al. Al, happy. Al, whistling while he worked. And I knew what his work for the night was going to be. A job named Rex Sanders. An auto accident. An accident like the one in which Vivian Sears was killed. But Al was going to have a hitch in this accident. I felt weak, but I could still move. I saw his head swinging from side to side in his thick neck. Swinging in time with his tune. I waited a moment to steady myself. And then I wrapped my arms round his throat. I pulled tighter, tighter. He let go of the wheel. He let go of the wheel and his hands came up claw at my arms. The car started to swerve crazily. I held on to him with all my strength. Al was going to have his accident, but he was going to have it my way. He was going to be in it with me. To both of us. Little Evie Gaines and Ralph Jones. And to our trip to England. And to Al. To Al Mason. Long may he rest in peace. <laughs> Alongside the dear departed Rex Saunders. Too bad about Al dying in that accident, too. <laughs> I wonder how he missed. No, my dear, we mustn't fret over Al. He served his purpose of ridding us of Allison and his lady friend Vivian Sears. It's just as well this way, my dear. Allison did beautiful engraving, Ralphie. Very beautiful. Oh, an accomplished artist. His last work was a masterpiece. The fraud will never be detected. Everything's perfect. The printing, the paper, everything. The British public will be honored with the new and uh, <clears throat> unofficial pound notes. The pound notes. Let's drink to the pound note. And to my car down in the hold of this very fine vessel. <laughs> You're terrific, Ralph. You think of everything. Well, it's kind of you to say so. Oh, who'd ever think of looking inside the tire tubes of your car for counterfeit money? <laughs> who'd ever think of it? <laughs> I'm sure most people wouldn't. Saunders. You. Mind if Alec and I join your little celebration, Johnson? Well, perhaps we're intruding. You're dead. It can't be. The papers said Al and you were... The papers were quite correct about Al's death and the accident. But the story of Mr. Saunders' death was a bit exaggerated. A ruse I carried through with the cooperation of the police. And it paid off rather well. For us. I permitted you to get this far, Johnson, so that I would be sure to stop the counterfeit money from being circulated in England. However, I must say that you had rather a neat plan, manufacturing the pound notes in the States and then taking them to England in the tires of your car. But uh, murder always upsets the neatest of plans. I had nothing to do with the killings. They were all his ideas. Everett, don't be a fool. Don't you see they can't oh, prove anything? I'm not going to die for you. He did it. He had Al kill Allison because he was finished with him. Allison found out that he was going to die when he finished the plate on the trip over. That's why he gave it to his girlfriend, Vivian Sears. It was all Johnson's idea. I had nothing to do with it. Well, thank you for the confession, but it was uh, quite unnecessary. 
What? Alec and I heard everything outside while you two were having your bon voyage toasts in here. And from what we heard, it wasn't difficult to put the pieces together. And uh, speaking of bon voyage, there's another trip waiting you two in a government launch cruising off the port side of this liner. It will take us all to the pier where a special delegation from the police department is waiting to extend a toast of welcome back. was hot and still, an August night in the middle of April, but that didn't matter to the striptease dancer in the golden mask, because murder made her blood run cold the night the heat wave struck. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Heat Wave. Spring was only three weeks old, but the sun bore down on Los Angeles with the middle of the summer vengeance. At noon, it was 102 in the shade, and by 3.30... With doors, window, and shirt collar all open as far as they would go, I still swelted in the kind of heat that wilts both your clothes and your character. So I tried to make sense from the crisp words of a telegram I just received from one Karen Driscoll Jr., no less, of Knob Hill, San Francisco. It told me to go to the Palace Theater, a burlesque house on Main Street, watch the performance of the featured dancer, get backstage, and take a close look at her face. Then meet the 7 o'clock plane from San Francisco and report what I'd seen to Miss Driscoll. Uh, Junior. It was a strange request coming from Knob Hill, but the enclosed $50 money order wasn't kidding, so I perspired my way down to the Palace Theater. There, instead of the usual 30 beautiful girls' 30 sign over the marquee, was a 50-foot gold banner that screamed, The Heat Wave, Who Is She? And the showcase cards that led to the box office were all a circle of question marks that centered a woman wearing a strange gold mask and little else. I bought a ticket and went inside in time for the tail end of the matinee. A baggy pants comedian was just winding up a corny south of the border routine as I sat down. Size sombrero in a hybrid hat dance and then galloped off into the wings. After reminding myself that I was here on business, I sat down again as a personality boy in brown flannel and a yellow shirt stepped into the spotlight with his arms raised. Ladies and gentlemen, you're now privileged to witness one of the most unusual and breathtaking spectacles ever presented on any stage. In a moment, you will see her, the woman of mystery, performing exotic rites to the pagan sun god of the Incas. Mysterious 
This was special. She was the color of alabaster and as supple as a cat, and as she moved across the stage, she got more convolutions out of her two arms than a restless octopus could with eight. Her costume from the neck down was about as sheer as a new spider web, and above that and covering her face completely was a gold mask, grotesque and glistening. As the dance headed for a climax designed to knock the cash customers right out of their seats, I uh, reminded myself again that I was here on business. So I walked down the side aisle to a door that led backstage and went through it just as the dance ended. And while the audience tore the house down begging for more, the heat wave tossed a couple of kisses through a gold mask and ran to a dressing room. I started after her and was halfway there when a bulging hulk in a shark-skin suit that measured 6'6 in every direction lumbered casually out of the shadows and took a bulldog stance with his back against the dressing room door. I started picking up fast ad libs and was hot for a switch on the eager reporter gag when... A baggy pants comic slid up beside me. Hey, chum. Huh? They're asking for Loda Mayhem if he try to get to the heat wave past Jesse there. Jesse? He the man mountain in the sharkskin suit? Yeah, with orders to break bones. No. Uh, maybe I can help you. Good. But how come? Here, let's go around to the side. Uh, you're a reporter, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, Inky Barnes can use a little publicity, too, you know. Uh, hold it here by the door. Uh... Now, what is it you have to know? Well, all I want is one look at her face. Yeah, that's a cinch. I said I'd help you out, and I will. Like this. Yeah. Right out there in the alley. And don't come back before midnight, goon. You can see her face then when she takes the mask off. I should have known better, but all I wanted at the moment was to kick the slack out of a pair of baggy pants. So I bounced back up the steps, jerked the door open, and ran head on into three square yards of sharkskin suit. It was Jesse. You ain't welcome around here, bum, so stay out. Have you got it? Okay, Jesse, let's say I've got it. Yeah. Also, don't drop it as you walk away. I was glad to remember that I had a client to meet at the airport. So in spite of the fact that the heat wave's face was still a well-kept secret behind a gold mask, I took Jesse's good advice and left. When the plane taxied to a stop at the airline's gate, it was seven o'clock sharp. And as the passengers unloaded a tall, sinuous brunette with arched eyebrows, an imperial gesture, and a hat that had kept some imaginative milliner out of the red for several months, had to be Miss Karen Driscoll, Jr. I introduced myself, ushered her to the cocktail lounge, and when a Gibson sparkled in front of each of us, she got down to business. Well, Marlowe, did you see her? Uh, yes and no. I have a photograph here. Look, is this the same girl? Uh, oh, it's a headshot. It's pretty, but no help, Miss Driscoll. You didn't see her face, then? No, look, Junior, do I refund your money now or start asking questions? Don't be ridiculous. I must know who that girl is, and I'll tell you why. This picture is of my sister, Midge Driscoll. Oh? Think your sister's the heat wave? Yes. Oh, she's doing it to humiliate me, Marlowe. Tomorrow, I'm being married to a man whose family is distinguished in diplomatic circles. No. And this burlesque heatwave woman is, is to be revealed at midnight tonight. If she is my sister, can you imagine what the papers will do with that story tomorrow morning? Yeah, some wedding present. But your own sister, I don't get it. Why? Oh, it's an old hate, Marlowe. 
Midge lost a love affair, and I won it. Years ago. She's never gotten over it. Oh. And she's done things before. The day I was elected president of the Metropolitan Club, she faked an elopement with my chauffeur. The night of my engagement party, she rode a horse into the flamingo room. A brawl started, and she spent the night in jail. Last yeah, I see year, what you I... mean, but this heat wave's got a lot of talent for burlesque. A lot of experience in a line. In fact, uh, <laughs> she's a sensation, let's face it. So what makes you think it's Major, huh? Oh, no. I found the name Tracy Leake in her apartment in San Francisco. He's the manager of the Palace Theater here. I learned that from a newspaper story in which Josh Freeman... Josh Freeman? Yes, the big producer. Oh. He's supposed to be bargaining with Lake for his heat wave discovery. Oh, she's done a thorough advanced publicity job, all right. What if she turns out to be your sister? What then? That's my business. I know how to make money talk, Marlowe. And I've more than enough for a polite but firm conversation. Your job is merely to find out for sure between now and midnight if my sister actually is this heat wave. I'll take care of everything else. <laughs> Karen Driscoll, Jr. gave me her local phone number, then got up, cursed the hot night, bid me hurry, and summoned a taxi. All with a regal wave, one hand. And I was left to my own devices and something less than five hours to make them work in, so I drove back to the Palace Theater, which was stalling until midnight, by showing a triple feature movie. Paid another admission and slipped backstage again. It was deserted, except the two electricians tied up in pinnacle under the switchboard light. The heat wave's dressing room was locked, Jesse was nowhere in sight, and... I was about to leave again when I heard a familiar voice cooing into a dark note that turned out to be a phone booth. It was Hinky Barnes, the baggy pants comic. Beauty to the beautiful, you know. Hey, hey, uh, listen, baby. About that other deal, did you talk to her? She won't. You sure? Yeah. Yeah, well, look, I gotta talk to you. How about dinner? You can? Well, I know you got things on your mind, but... Yeah, honey, I know you're tired. Well, okay. Don't worry, things are going to be okay. You'll see. Bye-bye, baby. Hey, Hinky. Oh, you again. Yeah, that's right. <coughs> that brings us up to date, even Stephen. Now, get this. First, I'm not a reporter. Second, I represent Josh Freeman's office. And third, I haven't got all night. You mean Josh Freeman, the big producer? Know any other Josh Freeman? I want to talk to Tracy Lake about the heat wave, but I want to see her before I talk. Is she here? No. She won't be back until the big midnight show. Where's Tracy, then? He's home. The Toppet House on a wheelchair. About two blocks down from Arthur Murray's. Hey, but listen. Uh, tell me something. Is, uh, is Josh going to make a star out of her? With a talent like hers? What do you think, Inky? left Hinky with his mouth hanging open and the fire of ambition burning like an alcohol lamp in each eye as I drove out to the Toppet House on Wilshire. Leaning on the bell at Tracy Lake's apartment, I got ready to be a hard-hitting, practical-minded producer's right-hand man. Yeah, what is it? Tracy, my name's Marlowe out of Josh Freeman's office. Caught the heat waves act this afternoon, willing to wrap her up and take her home right now. But not sight unseen. Wait, Who is she? Wait a minute. Huh? You say you're from Josh Freeman, Marlowe? That's right. And I got a blank check right here in my pocket. Authorized to fill it out unless you're completely unreasonable. I see. Oh, now, look, Marlowe, this heat wave thing has gone over a thousand percent better than any of us expected. Yeah, I know, I know, but you see... Uh... The price is high already, and the bids have only started to come in. Oh, uh, excuse me. I just opened a bottle of Paul Masson over there. Help yourself, Marlowe. I'll be right back. A perfectly good telephone sat within an arm's reach of Lake. 
Instead, he went down the hall to an extension and closed the door behind him. It was distinctly malpractice, but time was running out on me, so I picked up the phone and listened. Is Mr. Ridgely the jeweler? Oh, yes. What is it, Ridgely? The bracelet you selected is ready now. We can deliver it immediately. Fine. It goes to Miss Nita LaBar, 44 Edgewood Terrace. Oh, uh, it goes a card. Uh, don't worry, darling. You are my real heat wave. Sign it, Tracy. Lovely, lovely. Uh, and the engagement ring? Uh, the sunburst? Yeah, that's for Miss LaBar, too. But deliver that to the theater at midnight. You got it? Yes, indeed, sir. Uh, thank you. And congratulations. Tracy Lake and Needle LaVar. Who might she be? Sorry, Marlowe. A little personal business. Now, uh, you were saying... Yeah, yeah. I was saying I can hand you a nice fat check if this mass Marvelous is really okay. You're building up to quite a surprise, Tracy. You must have something. <laughs> yes. Indeed I have, old boy. Plenty. Yeah? I can't reveal the lady's name until midnight. All right, all I'm... right. Play coy. What's her background? Has she got class? Class? Marlowe, you wouldn't believe it. Not blue book stuff. Society girl in burlesque? Anything's possible, Milo. Sure, sure. She could even be from Knob Hill, huh? Yeah, like I said. Anything's possible, possible, sure. Okay, Tracy, that's what I wanted to find out. See you after the unveiling, and you got a great night for it. Oh, Milo, uh, mm-hmm. I suppose uh, Big Ed Peters is in on the deal as usual, along with Josh? Yeah, it's a regular Josh Freeman deal, just as usual. <laughs> See you later, Tracy. <laughs> This is Marlowe, Jr. I just wound up an interview with Tracy Lake. When I threw Knob Hill at him, he turned green. But it's not official yet. The odds are high that it's your sister Midge, all right, who's knocking him dead as the heat wave. I knew it. That horrible, vindictive little tramp. What else, Marlowe? Did you find out where she is? Yeah, yeah. She's going under the name of Needle LaVar and staying at 44 Edgewood Terrace near MacArthur Park. But listen, it's not positive yet, so I'm going there to check right now. Where are you calling from, Marlowe? A phone booth at a closed gas station out here on Wilshire. But I... Oh... What's the matter? What is it, Marlowe? Uh, I am about to start earning that fee of yours, baby. 300 pounds of muscle in a sharkskin suit just walked up. Goodbye. Hello, Sonny. Well, my Piltdown pal. So the boss was right. You're just a cheap, nosy reporter, after all. It's cramped in there, ain't it? But you're not getting out, bub. Uh, now... Wait a minute, Jesse. It's a hot night. Let's not work up a sweat, huh? Don't you worry about that. Mr. Lake pegged you as a phony nosy, and that's bad. What do you mean, phony? You said Big Ed Peters was in on a deal with Josh Freeman. All right, what about it? Big Ed's been dead for 12 years. And you know what? He's still gonna look better than you are 30 seconds from now. Oh! just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, tomorrow night, in order of their appearance, you'll hear Joseph Cotton, Ozzie and Harriet, Jack Benny and his gang, Amos and Andy, Sam Spade, Lum and Abner, Helen Hayes, Eve Arden, and hold tight now, a special show with Bing Crosby, Bob Hope, Claudette Colbert, and Don over most of these same CBS network stations. And Jack Benny with Mary, Phil, Dennis, Don, and Rochester will be heard over them all. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Heat Wave.
boots who were kicking at the lining of my temples finally quit. When I dragged myself back up to the vertical, Gargantua was gone. And I was sure of only two things. Tracy Lake did not know that I was anything other than a nosy reporter, and second and more important, it was time for me to head for Edgewood Terrace and the lady known as Nita Lavar. <laughs> I started for the front door of number 44, which was an all-alone stucco and a tile L-shape that showed a single light. The little men in iron boots went to work again. It reminded me that it might be healthier if I first found out exactly what was waiting behind the map marked welcome. So I made a wise circle around to the back, then in closer past a whispering huddle of palms through a flagstone patio that led to a short flight of also flagstone steps. But there, when I was only a few feet from an uncurtained window, I stopped at the sight of something I hadn't expected. It was the body of a woman lying in a twisted heap at the bottom of the stairs. When I moved closer, I saw that the ugly cut on the side of her head that had killed her had come from the jagged edge of the last step. I also saw that the woman was Midge Driscoll. Next to the body, there was an overturned crushed sprinkling can, which meant that she could have fallen to her death accidentally. Also, it could have meant that if murdered, a killer had overturned and crushed the sprinkling can as well. I was somewhere between the two thoughts when I heard a car break to a stop in front of the house, then high heels on a cement walk. I quietly moved around to where I could see something tall and blonde who, in a better light, would have been better looking. Good evening. What? Who's that? Name's Philip Marlowe. Mean anything? And try this. I'm a friend of Midge Driscoll's. Midge? I never heard of anyone by that name. No bet. <clears throat> Step up a little closer, honey. Now, wait a minute, Mr. Bright Eyes. I... Midge! Yeah, yeah, Midge. In uh, Driscoll. Name you never heard of, remember? Now, what do you say? Do we play it straight? Yeah, yeah. I'm Nita LaVar, Mr. Marlowe. Baby, you're getting in deeper by the minute, and by that I specifically mean that Midge Driscoll here and Nita LaVar are one and the same. Oh, you're crazy. I know my own name. It is and always has been Nita LaVar. That's Midge Driscoll. All right, since you've grown so cooperative, maybe you can tell me why she's dead. Could be that she fell down those stairs. An hour before her unmasking is the heat wave. Heat wave? You know an awful lot, mister. How come? It's strictly business. I'm a private detective with clients. We'll talk about that later. Right now, it's time to go in and call the police. And don't tell me you can't find your key. Don't worry, private detective. I won't. Here, catch. Got it. Now, let's get inside. But let's not call the police, huh? Why not? Are you afraid that they'll... Oh, I see what you and that pretty little gun mean. I'm glad. I'd hate to have to shoot you. Why? Want a night your quarter? Don't be funny. I didn't kill Midge. Then why no police? For a very good reason. Until tonight, Marlowe, I've been the heat wave. The substitute heat wave for Milady there who didn't have the time or the talent for the build-up to the great joke she was going to pull on her sister. You mean you were the one I saw today? The one everybody saw every day. And liked. Liked so much that business boomed and all the heads in the front row weren't bald. Which has what to do with me calling the police? In general, everything. In particular, my career. I tried to get that crazy kid there to back off and let me go on with the act that she'd kill after one performance, but no. Miss Bunny Moneybanks wouldn't hear of it. Now that she's dead, you're in, is that it? Solid. And that's also the reason why I don't want to spend the next two hours talking to cops. So go on, put the key in the lock, turn it, open the door, 
and walk in. What happens then? Then, Mr. Marlowe, we call Tracy Lake and arrange for a playmate for you. Playmate named Jesse, maybe. A playmate named Jesse. And no, maybe. When we got inside, Needle Laval handled a prisoner with a finesse of a Marine guard detachment, took my gun, threw it across the room, put me into a faraway straight-back chair, and got through to Tracy Lake without once taking her baby blue eyes off me. Then when she told the man she called Darling all about Midge's death, which could have been for my benefit, she placed a rush order for the monster. After that, she hung up, sat down, lit a cigarette, and waited. But a second later, she was back on her feet. When I said that friend Jesse was fast, she said I should shut up and more. Listen, Marlowe, you do exactly as I say. Coming! Now stay right where you are and don't so much as open your mouth. Who is it? It's me, Nita. Hinky. Oh, good. Come on in, Hinky. Oh, Nita. Hi. I just happened to be going by since I knew it was Midge's night. I thought... This... And never mind what you thought. Just come in and listen. It isn't Midge's night, Hinky. It's mine. And don't ask questions now. Here. Ooh, what's the gun for, Nita? What's the matter? A private detective, but public nuisance, named Marlowe. Marlowe, a detective? Mm-hmm. He told me he was from Josh Freeman's office. Ah, he was lying. Now, get this, Hinky. Midge Driscoll is out and back, dead. But why... I don't know why, and I care less. But Marlowe here is crazy for calling the cops, which would leave me at midnight doing my big number for the desk sergeant. <laughs> Great. So use that gun, see, and hold him here until Jesse shows up, which should be any minute. Now, goodbye, and be careful, Hinky. So long, bright boy. Gentle soul, huh, Barnes? Never mind, Milo. Save the gap for Jesse. He's a great listener. I doubt if he'll give me the time, considering that I know it's an odds-on bet it'll be a couple of slugs in my belt buckle before he's even in the room. Jesse kill you? Why would he do that? Because he works for Tracy Lake. And Tracy Lake has to kill me, Barnes. I know he's a murderer. Mitch Driscoll was murdered? You sure of that? Just about. Doesn't figure any other way. Nita herself told me how much this chance means to her and how hard she tried to get Mitch to back off. Uh, but Tracy, how does he tie in? Two ways. The money he'll get out of the show continuing indefinitely, and better than that, the fact that he and Nita are going to be married. Those two get married? You're nuts, Marlowe. No, no, that's straight, Barnes. I know because I overheard Tracy talking to a jeweler about the ring he ordered. Now, you mind if I have a cigarette? Hey, Barnes, can I reach for a cigarette? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Hey, hey, Marlowe, you sure of this? Everything you just said, I mean, about them getting married, no? Sure I am. Why, a little disgusted with your buddies? Yeah, a little. So as of right now, you can do as you want. I'm leaving. No, you're not, Mr. Barnes. Hey, Jesse, hey, hey, Jesse, don't shoot. I won't, Mr. Barnes. Unless, of course, you or Buster try to get out of here. Oh, who, me, Jesse? Yeah, you were going to let Marlowe go, Mr. Barnes. I don't think Mr. Lake would like that. I'm sure he wouldn't, Jesse. So why don't you just save everyone a lot of time and start pulling that trigger? Well, you can still see what you're doing. Hey, the light! Get going, Barnes! You, you dirty louse! I'll fix you! You'll never get out of here alive! Where? Where are you? Come on, talk! Where are you? Where are you? Answer me, you hear? Answer me! With pleasure. Oh, you stinking slime. I'll tear you apart if I get my hands on you. Which, Jesse boy, is the trick. And now for our meeting in the phone booth, flowers, your big ape, bars and all. After I got some lights on and found my gun where Nita had tossed it when we first came in, I checked Jesse over once to make sure that he was neither dead nor too alive. Then I started for the door. The 
there, even as my hand closed over the knob, I stopped. A crazy thought from I don't know where wedging its way into my mind. I turned back toward the room and stared at the flower and vase strewn form of the ape that covered half the carpet. Then slowly the wedge broke through and there was light, lots of it. The kind in which I could see why Midge Driscoll had been murdered. And more important, why I had to get to the Palace Theater and needle a bar before murder happened again. from the curb in front of Nita's at 20 minutes to 12. When I screeched to a stop downtown at the palace without somehow hitting or being hit along the way, those 20 minutes were gone. And I was worried because midnight meant that Nita would already be on stage for the unmasking. I raced past the general at the door and then across the lobby and into the theater where I figured I could get down a side aisle of the wings. That was figuring wrong. Because fire laws notwithstanding, the place was strictly SRO and packed tighter than the seventh game World Series. Between the backs of perspiring necks, I could see that Nita, who was across stage from Tracy Lake himself and in the center of a single spotlight that could have opened a supermarket, was still masked. So while I prayed that Lake, who was winding up his spiel, would think of bigger and better adjectives, I ran back to the lobby and around to a flight of stairs that led to the first balcony, where over on one side and near the railing, I found an old man who was daddy to a trio of baby spots and the one giant that was on Nita. I shoved him aside just as Lake finished and the maestro took over. And with one hand, I got a good grip on the thirty-eight in my pocket, and with the other, the handle on the big spot. Hey, what are you doing? Hoping I'm wrong, Dad. But if not, hoping the gun I expect doesn't come from the wings, but... Hey, there, in that side balcony near the curtain, see it? Yeah, it's a gun, all right. Hey, that's Hinky Barn. Right. Let's give the funny man a big audience and lots of light. You're on, Barn. Watch out, he's going to shoot at us. Yeah, and us at him. You got him, you got him. It was 20 minutes of bedlam. Police, music, and two quick numbers by Needle Lavar, all of whose shaking was not routine. Before the palace got back to the quiet business of being a burlesque house and the show went on. It was another hour and 20 minutes before it was all over and the theater was empty and dark except for a work light on the stage where Nita, Tracy Lake, and I were sitting in the middle of a papier-mâché Inca civilization. Well, Milo, the police say they think he's going to live for a while. Can't figure the guy. Never knew he felt that way about Nita here. Neither did I. I was always okay to him, and I knew he cared some, but that's as far as it went. With you, Nita, yeah. But with Hinky, it was something else. Something strong enough to make him kill Mitch Driscoll so that Nita would get a big chance, eh, Milo? Mm-hmm. But when he found out through me that you two were going to be married, he... He realized that the murder he had committed was for nothing. And now he was going to make one count. So he turned on you, Nita. How did you find out in time to get to him before he could make a try for Nita? Yeah, the way the guy sagged when I said you were going to be married told me all I had to know. But it was cinched by the American beauties draped around Jesse. American beauties? Flowers? Yeah, yeah. See, I remembered a phone call Hinky made. You, Nita, had been the lady he'd talked to and loved. From there on out, it was a little better than a shot in the dark. Two shots in the dark, Marlo. Good ones that are responsible for Nita still being here with us. Thanks, Marlo. Yeah, Marlo, thanks a lot. Don't mention it. After all, I was paid for my work, and besides, eh, that dance you do, Nita, belongs to posterity. Oh. <laughs> Good night. Still hot in the city. I had no enthusiasm for further conversation. And a very sticky feeling from head to foot. 
So I took care of Karen Driscoll, Jr. in a fast telephone call and then pointed my car for my apartment. I couldn't help thinking of poor little Hinky Barnes, who brought laughter to everyone else, but could find no happiness for himself. He was like the man who went to see a doctor one day and said, Doctor, I can't laugh anymore. And the doctor said, Go and see Grock, the greatest clown of them all. If he can't make you laugh, there's no help for you. The man smiled and said, Thank you, doctor. You see, I am Grock. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, created by Raymond Chandler, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Mel Dinelli, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Vivi Janice, Wilms Herbert, Ed Begley, Elsie Holmes, Barney Phillips, and Byron Kane. The special music is by Richard O'Ron. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... It started at dawn in a Los Angeles taxi and wound up that night on a cliff in the middle of the Pacific. All because of a Dutchman with 50,000 bucks, a corpse, and a lily pond, and an Oriental with a chauffeur who wanted a cloak made of nothing but feathers. Just about an hour from now, $50,000, the biggest jackpot in radio history, will be waiting CBS listeners from coast to coast on the Sing It Again program over most of these same CBS network stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Now stay tuned for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Box 13, with the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd, as Dan Holliday. Dear Dan, I'm inviting you up to Fair Oaks to spend the last weekend with me. Forget your Box 13 gag for a while and grab yourself a little vacation. There's not much I can offer in the way of excitement or adventure. But if you'll really go any place or do anything, you might like to see the crumbling grandeur of the last... Crumbling grandeur of the last of the Kenworths. You know how to get there, and I'll be waiting. How about it? Ted. <laughs> vacation, the man said. You know, someday I'm really going to take a vacation. But this wasn't it. Back to Box 13 and Dan Holliday's newest adventure, Last Will and Nursery Rhyme. I think you should go, Mr. Holliday. You need a rest. Oh, Susie, every time I go for a rest, something happens to me. But what can happen at a nice, quiet place like Fair Oaks? 
Gee, from what your friend Ted says about it, it's just a spot to take it easy. You sure of that, huh? Uh-huh. Why, you'll come back all full of vim and vinegar. <laughs> okay, Susie, you talk me into it. Forward my mail to Fair Oaks, care of Ted Kenworth. It was pleasant. A 200-mile drive through the countryside. I was forgetting all about Box 13. <laughs> it chased after me all the way up to Fair Oaks. I got there in the evening and Ted was waiting for me. Maybe I should explain Ted and Fair Oaks. You see, Ted was my closest friend at college and, well, he had inherited Fair Oaks. One of those big, overdone houses people were fond of building in the 1890s. It looked like an insane wedding cake. Gingerbread balconies, all running around and contributing nothing to the architectural value of the place. Anyway, I parked on the drive, walked up the stairs with Ted and into the house. Oh, I'm glad you came, Dan. I've been wanting to have you up here for a long time, but I guess I never got around to it. Hey, what do you do for space here? Suppose you have a house full of guests and you've only got 20 rooms. Yeah. Well, don't worry. I won't have it long. <laughs> what do you mean? Come on in here. It's the only room with chairs. Hey, why are the crepe hanging? Hmm? Oh, I'm selling, Dan. Selling? Oh, but you're kidding. No, I wish I was kidding, but can't keep this place up. You broke? Flatter than last week's pancakes. Oh, but I thought you inherited a money, money from Uncle Thaddeus? No. Not a thin, round dime. Oh, now, wait a minute. He had a thousand bucks for every breath he took. Did he? I'm asking. I'm telling. No, Dan. All he left me was this house. Are you sure? There we go again. Look, fella, I've been asked that question a million times. All he left was the house. It doesn't seem right. Wasn't he a millionaire? Uh-huh. Then where's his money? Gone. Finished. Kaput. But look, where could a guy like your Uncle Thaddeus spend all of his money? That's the gold-plated question. He never spent a nickel if he could help it. Okay, then the money's still with us. <laughs> Dan, you kill me. You're so tied up with fiction that you look for a deep, dark plot and everything. Yeah, but this makes no sense. It does when you check and find out that Uncle Thaddeus lived the last five years on credit. Credit? You mean with all of his dough... Ah, uh -huh, that's right. He... Well, there must be a record of the money. I had help looking for it. Help? Who? Uncle Sam. Oh. Income tax, inheritance tax. If they couldn't find the dough, how could I? No, Dan. Uncle Thaddeus fooled everybody. He didn't have a nickel. Well, it sounded offbeat to me. Uncle Thaddeus lived close to his vest. And he had had money at one time, lots of it. He never went anyplace, did anything. But a cool three million or so just curls up and evaporates. Or did it? Anyway, I thought about it later that night. Oh, why don't you stop, Dan? You're supposed to take a vacation and you're beating your brains out. Now listen, put it together and what have you got? Uncle Thaddeus, practically a hermit. He's known to have money, but when he dies, all he leaves is this, well, this oversized lean-to. Dan, I've looked through the whole house. I know it like the back of my hand. I lived here when I was a kid after Mother and Dad died. What about the will? Uncle's? Yeah. Well, nothing about money in it. Oh, <laughs> excuse me, Ted. Oh, it's okay. Come on in, Helen. Well, I didn't knock or ring the bell. I didn't know you had company. Oh, it's all right. Helen, this is Dan Holliday. Dan, this is Helen Stark. How are you? Fine, thanks. Uh, Helen's clearing out odds and ends for me, Dan. 
Odds and ends. <laughs> well, I was Thaddeus Kenworth's secretary. That is, once in a while I was. When he got behind in cataloging books, I came in and did it for him. Oh. Sit down, Helen. Join the wake. Well, I haven't much time. I want to sort out some papers. You can look them over tomorrow, Ted. I don't want to. Throw them out. Mm, what papers? <laughs> Mr. Kenworth kept everything. Yeah, he collected bills, receipts, pieces of twine, bits of paper. Oh, he wasn't that bad. Okay, just like to keep things. <laughs> Including money. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean, Mr. Holliday? Where's his money? Well, he didn't leave any. <laughs> That's what the man said. But, but he didn't, did he, Ted? No. Then where is it? Helen, let me explain. You see, Mr. Holliday has a complex. To him, the simple act of taking a drink of water is filled with mystery and dark meaning. <laughs> you want to borrow my cloak and dagger? <laughs> well, you two argue about it. I'll be all finished tomorrow, Ted, and you can look over everything. See you later, Mr. Holliday. Oh, good. Nice girl. Uh-huh. What's the matter? Don't you like her? I just met her. What do you want me to do? Start sending orchids? Hey, come on. Let's take a walk, huh? Uh, I'd rather go over the house. Oh, you're kidding. Why? Oh, just to take a look. Oh. <laughs> Expect to find a million tucked away in an old pillowcase? You never can tell, boy. Come on. Just to satisfy my curiosity. Okay. I satisfied my curiosity. Ted knew the old place backward and forward. Almost all of the furniture had been cleared out. And if there was a hiding place for anything, we'd have found it. But it still bothered me, and it bothered me after I finally went to bed. Then in the middle of the night, somebody was taking a walk in the house. I got out of bed, opened my door, then went to Ted's room. Ted. Ted, wake up. Huh? Huh? What's the matter? Oh, Oh, Dan. Be quiet. Hmm? What? What's the matter with you? You walking in your sleep? I heard someone upstairs. Oh, large mice. Go back to bed. I tell you, I heard someone walking around. What's directly above my room? Your room? Yeah. Why, this is that old room I played in when I was a kid. What's in there? Oh, cut it out, will you, Dan? What's in that room? Nothing. You saw it. A trunk with some old toys in it, that's all. I heard someone walking around up there. Ah, oh, you were dreaming. You've got your head so crammed That's full. a car. Huh? Yeah, so what? But you and I are the only ones in the house. That's what I said. But someone just drove away from here. That car was on the road, not on the grounds here. It drove away from here. All right, it drove away from here. Now go back to sleep. The next dream you have, tell Freud, not me. I knew I'd heard someone upstairs... Somebody was going through that old room which Ted had used as a playroom when he was a kid. But why? Ted and I had gone through it with a fine-tooth comb and there was nothing there. But the next morning, I wanted a better look, so Ted and I went back. I don't know why I'm doing this except to humor you, Dan. There's nothing in this room. Hey, how old is that horn? I don't know. Maybe 20 years. Oh, get this. Ha, <laughs> ha. Uncle Thaddeus never threw away a thing. Not even his money. Oh, still harping on that, huh? Yeah. Hey, uh, what else is in that trunk? Oh, baseball glove, <coughs> dust, ball, bat. <laughs> Gosh, this rabbit's almost as old as I am. Then, let's see, tops, strings, that's all. And there's nothing else in the room? Nope. 
Yet someone was up here last night looking for something. Oh, Dan, stop it. I... Huh? What's the matter? I... Nothing. Nothing, I guess. Come on, come on, come on. What were you going to say? Wait a minute. Lose something? I don't know. Why don't you know? Seems to me there's something missing from this bunch of junk. Well, what? I can't remember. But there's one thing. Toy? Horn? Train? No, no, no. Those things are all here. Then what's missing? Come on, Ted, think. Oh, but it's more than 20 years ago. 25 is more like it. Yet you know something's missing. I I don't know. It's just that something hit me. You know, like, like a name you try to remember, or a place, or a date. All right. What? I don't know, Dan. I can't remember. Good morning. Uh, Good morning. Oh, hiya, Mr. Wilson. Come on in. Second childhood, Theodore. Playing with toys again? Uh, Just rummaging around. Uh, Dan, this is Martin Wilson, uncle's attorney. Mr. Wilson, Dan Holliday. How do you do? Well, Theodore, the papers are all ready for the sale. You can sign them any time. Oh, good. Be glad to get it off my mind. But I... Kind of hate to see the old place go. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, staying long, Mr. Holiday? No, just the weekend. Mm-hmm. Were you looking for something, Theodore? Huh? Oh, no, not in particular. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're ready, we'll sign the papers. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Wilson, but, but could I take a look at the will? Eh? Will? What will? Thaddeus Kenworth. What for? <laughs> Dan's a writer, Mr. Wilson. He's writing now. But... Could I look at it? That will be up to Theodore. How about it, Ted? And when you've looked at it? I don't know. I don't know. Is this the only will? Of course. It's the only one I've been able to locate. Well, Dan, what'd you find? Just the house and all that's in it. What? I said this clause states you'd receive the house and all that's in it. Is there something curious in that, Mr. Holliday? Maybe. Ah, here's a clause that strikes me as being peculiar. Which one's that? Oh, uh, listen. The happiest days of all of our lives are those spent in innocence. If you would become happy, Theodore, then remember your childhood and those things that were dear to you. Yeah. Maybe the old boy was right. Do you read any odd meaning into that, Mr. Holliday? Do you? (laughs) Old Thad was a peculiar man. A very peculiar person. He had streaks and quirks. Yeah, and one of them was getting rid of a fortune in time to keep anyone else from enjoying it. Maybe he thought people should work for their money. What are you getting sore about, Mr. Wilson? I'm not, I'm not. Well, if you're quite finished with this will, Mr. Holliday... Oh, yes, I, I am, thanks. All right. We'd better get the business of signing the papers over with, Theodore. Can't make a buyer wait forever, you know. All right. Hi, everyone. Oh, hi, Helen. What is this? Why all the grim looks? Nothing. I'll be finished today, Ted. Then you can look over everything. Oh, thanks. Oh, uh, Ted, want to go for a walk? Hmm? Oh. Oh, sure. Uh, excuse me. Uh, Of course. I'll finish my work in here, Helen. Won't disturb you, will I? No, not at all. I'll work in the library. What's the matter, Dan? I... I'm just thinking. About what? I'm sure I heard someone in that room last night, Tim. The room you used as a playroom when you were a kid. Now... Now what? That sentence in the will about your childhood. Remember it if you want to be happy. Oh, look. 
Uncle Thad was a little, well, eccentric. Maybe, but it ties in. The playroom, your childhood, someone looking for something, and your feeling something was missing from that old trunk. It... Look out! Huh? Ted, Ted. You all right? Yeah. But if you hadn't given me that push, I don't know. That coping stone would have nailed you. It fell off of the roof. Yeah. Hey, I guess it's about time to get rid of the place. It's falling apart. That stone didn't fall, Ted. It was pushed off. Back to Last Will and Nursery Rhyme, another Box 13 adventure with Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. Sure, that stone was pushed. Ted and I went to the roof, saw the marks made when the stone had been shoved forward. And it was meant to put the lights out for him. Why? That's what I want to know. Why? Because there's something in this house someone wants to get and keep you from getting. You know, you're almost making me believe this. You've got to. And you've got to think what's missing from that old trunk. I've tried, Dan. I can't. There was nothing in it but toys. That's all. Yet you say they're all there. Well, I I think so. Now, wait a minute. Let's go at this logically. There were trains, bats, baseball mitt, mechanical toys, things like that. What are you getting at? Well, this. You wouldn't have missed another of those things. So the thing that's missing must be different from those. Different enough to make you realize it's gone. Yeah. You're beginning to make sense. Now you try making some. Oh, Dan, I... I can't. Great. Look, uh... Hmm? Would either Helen or Wilson know? Know what? Oh, the thing that's missing? Uh-huh. Oh, maybe. Both Wilson and Helen were in the house when that stone almost put apart in your hair. Yeah? Either one could have shoved it off. It wasn't too big or too heavy. Yeah, but why kill me? Because the key to this whole business is in your head. As soon as you remember what's missing from the trunk, you'll have it. And both Helen and Wilson have keys to this place. And therefore, either one could have come into the house the night I heard the prowling in the playroom. All right. Where do we start now? We try to find what was taken. But we didn't. Whoever had it had taken it away. And two hours of pounding at Ted didn't help. He just couldn't remember what it was. Okay. I had an idea and told Ted. Hey, do you mean that? Yes. You follow Wilson when he leaves, and I'll follow Helen. Oh, I don't know. Now, look, it's our only chance. Come right out and accuse either one, and that'll be the end. We've got to do it this way, Ted. Well, all right. Wait. Hmm? Ah, there you are, Theodore. Oh, hello. Holiday, how are you? It's fine, thank you. Good, good. Well, Theodore, it's all settled. You're getting a good price for this place, but you'll have to leave day after tomorrow. What? The terms of the sale. Buyer wants immediate occupancy. Oh, put it off. What for? Just put it off. Look here, I sold this place for you, Theodore. Got a fine price. Yeah, but I didn't know I'd have to leave right away. You should have read the terms of the sale. Well, I've got to be going now. Other things to take care of. Other things. How do you like that? I've got to get out. Okay, that gives us less time. Now, you'll follow him. See what he does, where he goes, anything. I'll, I'll do the same with Helen. Yeah. 
Helen didn't leave until that afternoon. I let her get a start and then drove after her. She didn't stop in the village. Kept going into town about 20 miles farther. I kept a safe distance behind. Then, in, in the town, stopped her car, got out. And so did I. And so far, this was a blind chase. Then she went into a store, and on the window was children's toys and books. Toys and books. Children's. I, uh, I edged up to the window and looked in. Helen was talking with a clerk, and she had something in her hand. And from where I stood, it looked like one of those linen-covered kids' books. Then I saw the clerk go to a shelf of books and look them over. Helen followed her. The clerk shook her head. Helen turned to leave, and I ducked to keep out of sight. Helen went to every toy shop in town, but every place she got the same answer, a shake of the head. Okay. So it was Helen who had taken the missing item from the trunk. And it was a kid's book. But why? And what was in that book? It was dark when she finally headed back to the village of Fair Oaks. She didn't know it, but she was going to get company that night. Well, hello there, Mr. Holliday. Uh, Dan sounds better. <laughs> well, so does Helen. I, uh, I was just in the village, thought I'd drop in and say hello. Well, I'm glad you did, Dan. Sit down, won't you? Oh, thank you. All finished at the house? Yeah. Oh, things were in a mess. Thaddeus Kenworth kept everything under the sun. Yes, including a secret. Secret? What secret? Oh, just any secret. I wonder what he did with his money. Oh, I don't think he had any. I believe he was an old fraud. Why, he lived the last five years of his life on credit. Uh-huh. And there must have been a good reason for everyone extending credit to him. Well, he was an institution around here. Everybody humored him. Well, maybe. Why maybe? Did you know him? No, but tradesmen wouldn't extend credit for five years without expecting to get their money. <laughs> I, I didn't know anything about that. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Hmm? What? How was your trip into town today, Helen? Pleasant? Profitable? You're an odd person, Mr. Holliday. Uh-uh-uh. The name's Dan, remember? All right. You're still an odd person. You didn't find what you were looking for, did you? Was I looking for something? All right, Helen. Let's quit shadow boxing. You went into every toy shop in town to... Was that a crime? Oh, no. No, not at all. But shoving a stone off of a roof might be called one. What does that remark mean? Helen, I want what you took from the playroom at the house. Well, I didn't take anything. Oh, yes, you did. And among Uncle Thaddeus's papers, you must have seen a letter telling Ted to look in that trunk for a clue, some sort of a book. Oh, you're crazy. Uh, but it's fun. Now, hand it over, Helen. I, I told you I didn't take anything. Listen, that stone just missed killing Ted. Well, it... it and anyone I, who wants to kill someone has a strong motive. What's yours? It was just an accident. I leaned on the stone. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But how will it look if we put two and two together? The stone and the stolen book. I want it, Helen. <laughs> Something funny? All right, you can have it. But it won't do you any more good than it did me. Now, get out of here. Oh, the lady's armed. I'll kill you. Go right ahead. Stop there. Must be a lot of money to make you attempt to murder and threaten another. I want that book, Helen. Now. You stay away from me. Go. Go. Take it easy. Take it easy now. There. 
I'll take the gun with me. And the book. It was an old book of nursery rhymes. The kind kids look at hour after hour. I, I took it back to Ted and told him what had happened. Helen? But, but why? Why? For what I've been harping on since I've been here. Your uncle's money. And this book is the clue. Yeah, I remember it now. That's what was missing from the trunk. Sure. Look, Ted. Helen went through your uncle's papers and found something. I would have sworn it was Lawyer Wilson. Yeah, that's something Helen was counting on, but I ruled him out. Why? Well, when I first saw the will, I noticed it had been drawn up by another firm of attorneys. If you remember, Wilson even admitted he had to hunt for it. Then Helen must have found the letter telling you to look for this book. Yeah, but there's nothing but nursery rhymes. We've been through it a dozen times, and there's not a mark or a piece of paper in it. Yes, I know, but we've got it. Yeah, we've got it. And I've got to get out of here. You've got to figure this out before you leave. Once you're out of here, you'll have as much chance of finding that... Yeah, I know. But... Come on, come on, come on. Now, let's look through it again. See anything? No. Well, keep looking at it. Wait a minute. What's the matter? Go back. What did you see? I didn't see anything. It was something I didn't see. Oh, Dan, you're crazy. Mm. Look, Ted, look. Each rhyme is numbered. One, two, three, four, then six. Number five is missing. Hey, you're right. Helen took it. No, 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 she didn't. What? Of course she didn't. That's why she was trying to buy another one like it. But she couldn't. It's too old. All right. Number five is missing. What was it? Oh, hey, I can't remember that. Yes, you can. Now, look. Number one, Little Miss Muffet. Yeah. Number two, Simple Simon. Three, Sing a Song of Sixpence. Four, Three Blind Mice. Wait a minute. Wait. Mice. Mice? No, no, no. That one's here. No, no. Not Hickory Dickory Dock. The mouse ran up the clock. It's not there, and I know it was. Your uncle took it out rather than mark it. He took it out to make it tough for you. Yeah, but why that one? I... Ted, in the hall, that, that grandfather's clock. Yeah. I used to watch it for hours when I was a kid. Well, come on. Hey, Dan, you're terrific. Okay, here's the clock, but it stopped. I tried to wind it the other day, but it wouldn't go. Now, listen, the rest of the rhyme. The clock struck one. One. One o'clock. This clock stopped at six. Now, 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 what'll happen when we turn the hands until they get to one? Well, don't just stand there, boy. Do it. Okay. Seven... Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, easy, one. Look, the face came open. Hey, there's a letter. Well, get it out and read it. Yeah, yeah, read it. My dear nephew... Since you've figured this out, I must assume you've learned that money is to be earned, not come by easily. All right, go to the sundial in the garden. Turn the indicator until it points to 12. You'll then be able to lift the face of the dial. It, in the column, you'll find negotiable bonds and securities. You'll... Dan. Dan, I... I, I know. You love me.
Did you have a nice time, Mr. Holiday? Great, Susie, great. Do I look rested? Well, not exactly. That's what I thought. Oh, maybe you won't want to go to the party tonight, then. What party? Well, we're all starting from the city hall. Starting from the city hall? Why? Oh, it's a treasure hunt. It'll be loads of fun. Oh, Susie, how do you manage it? Good night. Next week, same time, through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd stars as Dan Holliday in Box 13. Box 13 is directed by Richard Sandville, with an original story by Russell Hughes. Original music is composed and conducted by Rudy Schrager. The part of Susie is played by Sylvia Picker. Production is supervised by Vern Carstensen. This is a Mayfair production from Hollywood. Watch for Alan Ladd in his latest Paramount picture. Radio production. Really?